listeners, you have found your way to the 103rd episode of Rank and Review. I'm your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and on this episode, my guest Jason Debray and I are going to discuss six films on the theme of crime. Six films directed by six great directors. It's another director masterclass edition, and it's another episode that is going to run long. There's a lot to unpack, there's a lot of epic crime movies here, and uh, I managed to get under Jason's skin. I mean, uh, I want you guys to listen for yourselves, but uh, I think the typically mild-mannered Jason is a little bit inflamed by some of the things I have to say about these movies. It's fun how people can agree and disagree at the same time. I had a lot of fun with this episode. I hope you guys do too. I hope you have feedback to give me. If you would like to send me that, you can do that by sending it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. As usual, I always warn of coarse language and spoilers. And yes, there might be a little bit of conflict this week on Rank and Review. Thank you so much for listening, you guys. Please help spread the word on my podcast. And let's talk about crime. Director Masterclass. What that boy up to? Jason Debray. Thank you for returning to Rank and Review. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going through a bit of a genre drought in this show. <laughs> um, this is going to be episode 103, yeah. but I also think it's going to be the fifth episode in a row where we haven't discussed a horror movie. <laughs> so, You're moving away from your uh, bread uh, and butter. I guess once we've cracked 100, well, the problem is, is that people just aren't, I, I give them the list and say, what do you want to do? In this case, you said you want to do crime masterclass and yeah. director masterclass, and, and I get that decision. I, I, I support it, but we need to get some genre movies talked about on this show. You know, I'm going to start pushing <laughs> for that, yeah. but I'm happy we are where we are. It's another director masterclass episode. The last time we did this, I was talking with Sky mm-hmm. about science fiction, and I was similarly snobby. 
Here's the thing. Because of the pedigree of the directors of these movies, yeah. I find myself being strangely tougher on them. You expect more. I expect more. And you should. Um, and so I bring that into it. But also there's a little bit of a subplot to this episode where we've got this sort of collision of De Niro <laughs> and Pacino. Uh, these two titanic acting forces. Yeah. So I guess maybe that's where we start. I mean, it's sort of like, are you an Elvis guy or a Beatles guy? There's <laughs> like, are you a, a De Niro guy or a Pacino guy? I've always leaned towards De Niro, but I don't hate Pacino. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a do you have a, a I, I've preference? Over the years, it's been Pacino for me, um, but lately, I just. Well, like I say, in the autom of their careers, they're, 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 both they're both making some interesting choices, which are not good. quite well. I, I think what Pacino has been doing with HBO, he's gained some decent, some out there roles, but yeah. some some decent roles from that. De Niro really embraced the comedy thing after uh, analyze this, and yeah. I've been doing and comedy for is fifty years. For fifty years, I've been making yeah. movies, and. Uh, I, I, he was always guilty throughout his career, I think, of doing movies that you could tell he was less invested in. Mm -hmm. You look at the early 90s movies and you look at a movie like Cape Fear and you see a very invested, you oh, know, Bob yeah. De Niro. Another completely charming late 80s, early 90s movie called Midnight Run. Yes, yes. Uh, I remember seeing him interviewed for that film and he said, they offered me the part, went over the script, didn't see any serious problems, so I said yes. That was how he was promoting yeah, the yeah, film, yeah. right? And I think later into his career, it's more that. Yeah. Sure, I'll do Bad Grandpa. Bad Santa made a lot of money, so maybe Bad Grandpa will. Uh -huh. You know, like, and, and he wasn't wrong, right? But, but it's not at a the good same time, he'll, he'll do David O. Russell movies. Mm -hmm. um, and so it seems like he's still, when people think about De Niro, they think of a serious actor. I'm, I'm just concerned about the generation that has gotten into movies in the last 10 years. By they think parents. that yeah. <laughs> that's him and that's what he's about. So I can, I could maybe understand if they haven't gone back to the 70s um, and 90s to see some of the movies, some of them were the ones we're talking about and some other ones are obviously I mentioned today, that they would think that's what De Niro is. And Pacino isn't showing up on the screen every year. Sometimes it's, you know, five years in between. He went through a long drought, actually. He, he played that, um, the movie where he's kind of playing uh, Neil Diamond, um, mm -hmm. uh, which he, he actually sang in it. And it wasn't, it wasn't awful. I mean, it, but it was such a strange, strange choice for him. But maybe that's the thing. Like, they're like, okay, these were the roles we couldn't get. We always had to play the heavies for 20, or, 30, 40 years. So now let's just do some stuff, different stuff. He gets to do that in the theater. And if you're in your late 60s and early 70s, and like I say, you've been working in film for like 50 years, it might even just become, what haven't I done? Yeah. You know, sure, Adam Sandler, I'll be in your stupid movie. <laughs> yes, Pacino did that. And, don't. And that was... Don't work with Adam it was, Sandler. It was so... <laughs> it was so sad, because I mean... Yeah, that's really, when I went to, to theater, I... I which is not the, by the way, bad advice if anybody's wanting to go into theater. You need to be yourself, not <laughs> anybody else. But I wanted to be Pacino. I right. wanted that the high intensity, you know, screaming out of nowhere kind of the big, you know, well, dynamic roles. When we talk about heat, I think we'll get into that because yeah. 
that's where I think it is shown. Basically, both of their strengths are focused mm -hmm. on in heat. Pacino likes to play big, over-the-top, sort of in-control characters. De Niro can do that, and he can do that well. But what he's really good at, I think, is playing stuff close to the vest. The quiet. Yeah, the intense, sort of like, you know this guy knows the shot. He doesn't have to tell you that he knows the shot. Just when he walks in the room, you know, this guy knows what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Right? Whereas, like, Pacino spends that movie waving his hands and screaming about big asses. De Niro it, just sort of leans back in his chair. It's a very scene while I'd scene. end up talking about it. Yeah. We, we uh, but I love both of those actors. Like I said, if I had to pick one, I would lean towards De Niro. But it's kind of nice that we yeah. have a Pacino guy and we yeah. got a De Niro guy. Yeah. And we got two movies that have both of them in it. In uh, yeah, that's Godfather so cool. 2 and Heat. That was not accidental in this list. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. But. Then we have two films where they're going to be running solo. Casino for De Niro and mm -hmm. Carlito's Way. For Pacino, and then we have two crime films that don't bother with either of those actors because mm -hmm. that would be kind of an embarrassment of riches. <laughs> but a couple of obscure crime titles yes. in uh, a few legends in those these movies, but Pulp Fiction and Chinatown. So we got Roman Polanski, we got Quentin Tarantino, we got Michael Mann, we got Martin Scorsese. Who who am I missing here? We Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma. Uh, it's Fran Francis Ford Coppola did you mention him? Francis Ford Coppola yeah, yeah. he's going to be the first one we talk about uh, so it is an embarrassment of riches mm -hmm. really, really these are nice. the best <laughs> these are if, if, if you don't know these names you need to seek them out yeah even so, their bad movies are more interesting than uh, it's most true. people's best so. some of my favorite directors like Scorsese or, or Gilliam I will happily sit down and watch oh, their yeah. worst movie I will happily oh, sit yeah. down and watch their worst movie because <laughs> even their failures have interesting stuff in them, I think. Um, anyway, we've got a lot to talk about, so we should get into the episode. Is there anything that you wanted to say before we go? Well, this will be... What was interesting about this one, the last couple times I've been here, there have been some that I love and some that I hate, probably more right. that I don't like than like. I love... I'll, 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 I'll just <laughs> let you know, I love all of these movies. All of them. All they right. were all on my top 10 lists of their respective, respective years. years. Some of them were my choice for the best movie of the year. So I, when we talk about stuff, I won't be really bashing any of these, but we might be getting into some, some detailed stuff. Right. Now, they may not be your six favorite, um, I, but I, I really, really do love these films. And so I think it's good to, to mention that ahead of time that... Uh, I certainly wouldn't argue that these are six amazing movies. Um, much like I said with the director masterclass movies, I'm a little bit harder on the ones that I yep. love. There's a couple of these movies that I, I still think they're really good movies, but fall well short of perfection. And I want to see if, I, the one, <laughs> we can, if it's we the ones can, I think that you're going to mention. We but, can uh, walk into. Yeah. There's also a problem in two of the movies, and again, we'll get to it in the reviews, of I think you could accuse the director of repeating themselves. Again, yeah, I, I, now, I think I know what you're talking does about. Does that necessarily mean it's bad? <laughs> You've done this exact thing before awesomely, so here we go again, right? In each case, I'd, I'll probably be arguing that it's an upgrade. There's right. some, in some flashier reason. things that weren't done in, in the first uh, kind of... We'll tell you what, Jason, so. since we're here doing this podcast, how about we review... We might as well. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> If anything in this life is certain, if history has taught us anything, 
You said you can kill anyone. Is it worth it? My father taught me many things here. He taught me, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Godfather is a term of affection, one of respect. This is the business we've chosen. So the first movie we're going to review is The Godfather Part 2. Many historic things about this movie. It's the first time you see De Niro and Pacino together in a movie, mm-hmm. although they share no screen time whatsoever. A nanosecond together. Yeah. yeah. There is uh, some precedence to this being the first and only sequel in history to win Best Picture at the Oscars, if you respect the Oscars. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I did, once upon a time. I don't know, it's, it's, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, There's one film since that's... Yeah. done that which I don't think was a very deserving film there, I mean obviously we had a whole other conversation I think The Godfather 2 is a worthy best picture we can swing around to this but yeah. uh, I think it, it's a worthy best picture and coming off of the amazing classic film that is the, the original Godfather mm-hmm. uh, it had a real mountain to climb as far as living up to it That's a mountain that many argue he did not succeed in <laughs> in summiting for The Godfather Part 3. Mm-hmm. I think that he did do a very good job with Part 2. I think that it's an incredible movie. But I guess to start the review, I will start by posing this question. Is it an incredible movie because he did some, He elevated his filmmaking skills, he changed what he was doing or upgraded what he was doing from The Godfather? Or is it an amazing film because it's not, in fact, just a sequel? It is simultaneously a sequel and a prequel. And at that time in Hollywood, such a thing was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that the thing that makes Godfather 2 amazing? Or is it just straight up amazing and I should stop picking holes in it? No, I, I, I like that <laughs> analysis of a prequel and a sequel at the same time because that's exactly, exactly what it is. What it is. Um, knowing like the, all the background of the Godfather films, the Godfather itself wasn't Francis Ford Coppola's movie. He was nearly fired from it. He didn't have the control. Yeah. I, I think he loved the second one because he had total control. The, the, the Godfather was big. It won Best Picture. Uh, interestingly enough, um, Coppola didn't win Best Director. Um, but then Godfather 2 was, was his film. Uh, you know, it, it had moved away from the book yeah. a bit. So it was... Extension of the book, he was able to. He was interested in this idea of um, a father and a son and their parallel lives at the same time. Um, and as, as we see the movie progress, because the Michael Corleone part, um, 
is over several years. It's not always apparent that it's over. It's over, maybe not several years, but it's over a, a period of time. A good amount of time. We see him grow up versus from child to the near. The Vito Corleone part is, you know, when he's I think he's nine at the beginning of the film and to the equivalent age that uh, that Michael Corleone is Michael Corleone at is the a very baby end. Boy, I think the last time we see him, right in, in the flashback. Yes. Right? Yeah. So. Uh, He's trying to make a, make it a new life. Well, let's hit the plot really quickly. Okay. There might be two or three people listening to this who seriously have not watched The Godfather 2. And mm-hmm. Honestly, I know that we give a spoiler warning, but like, if if we're ruining any of these six movies for you, I, I implore you to please watch the movies before you listen well, to the podcast. And there are some things about these movies where... Um, I'll always cherish the first time I saw them because there the were things, things that I did not expect to happen uh, that did. The two simultaneous storylines that we were being treated to, one follows basically uh, the godfather in the first film who had been played by Brando, here played by De Niro, from the time he is a very young child and a mafia, is, a mafia kingpin is responsible for the death of his father, his brother, and his mother in front of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that sort of is his baptism of blood into this world of gangster violence. So he doesn't get into the world of gangsterism because he's hungry for power, because he's, you know, somehow corrupt or that he gets off on the violence. This is all a very personal vendetta. This is all, this is all vengeance. So we see him, you know, figure out how to live in that world, that world that it was the destruction of his family, then thrive in that world then take over that world. Mm-hmm. And uh, he gets some vicious revenge, yes. like 15, 20 years after the fact on the man who perpetrated all this crime on his family. And in the modern time frame of the story, we're seeing young Michael now in charge of the family. And he doesn't have this origin. He didn't have the baptism of blood until he was already adult. His baptism happened in the first Godfather movie mm-hmm. where he executed a police officer and a politician in a, in a, in a restaurant. Which was a revenge thing. Too. Which was a revenge thing as well, but his journey is very, very quick, right? His entire life has been resisting his family. Mm-hmm. And then in a period of three weeks, he goes from resisting his family to being like the head of it, right? And now he's dealing with being in charge, most specifically with a violent threat that happened so close to home that it would have almost had to be an inside job. Yeah. It's an assassination attempt. Yeah. In his home. So, his bedroom window. <laughs> yeah. Bedroom window, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, someone got way too close. They got to figure out how that happened. And, uh, so yeah, those are basically the two storylines mm-hmm. that are going on. They, uh, act, they're similar, but different. But, um, I guess one of the things that I don't see is the similarity in character. I see a similar strength, but I don't see a similar person in those two characters. Do you know what I mean? They shouldn't like be identical. As, as far as the, their father and son? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think what Coppola was interested in was the age. They're different people. Yeah. They aren't the same person. But, uh, but it, you know, you know what was... I'm thinking about what was my dad's life like when he was my age right. versus my life right now. Well, they're, they're quite different, but it still is kind of an interesting thing to examine. I, um, I think that the thing with Vito Corleone... Um, that I, I'm not sure, I, I don't believe necessarily that he's plotting revenge on the man who killed his entire family 
until he's an adult. Right. I think he's just trying trying to survive. survive. Um, I love that whole business that his like his last name isn't actually Corleone. It's where he's from, but they messed up on Ellis Island. Yeah. Uh, they didn't hear uh, the, the person who was in, entered him into the country didn't hear his name properly. Um, I think it's it's later on when he sees the mafia boss who is taking the jobs and the money away from the local businesses in his neighborhood, and that triggers the memory of the guy who was took his family away, and and he just in a very kind of uh, calm, cool manner goes about figuring out how he can. You know, not pay this guy and, and 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 get rid of him. Yeah. And then his his approach is interesting because he he takes over this almost the same well pretty much the same role, but he seems so much kinder about it. Well, this you is know? where we get. This to is the interesting. Romantic. The morality of uh, the romanticism, romanticism, of the mafia family, and, and in each of these the films, we end up cheering for. People who are either sociopathic or psychopathic, or uh, um, or or are uh, you know, or criminal personalities if they are not necessarily you know officially diagnosed as sociopathic or right. Or they're career criminals. They're they're not criminals because there's a screw loose. This is they're criminals because that's their life path yeah. that they chose. And I I I don't think you would necessarily want to hang out with them other than being a viewer of uh, of these movies and and so it, it it is interesting though what, what what kind of happens with the two godfathers because it's godfather part two which is kind of clever because there's two godfathers yeah um I, we we see one who appears to be doing good and the other where everything is going wrong so pacino's this Michael Corleone, um, who I'm afraid I I, I I really like his performance, but I was more impressed with him in the first Godfather because he he had, had more to journey. play because he was this war hero, this all American kid, and we watch him change. He goes from all heart to ice cold in yeah. the first movie. He and goes from ice cold to ice, ice cold. Yeah, ice colder. Yes, you could say that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a lot. It's almost the supporting actors. Um, come across better, I think, in The Godfather Part 2. Well, here's the thing. I love The Godfather movies. I do. And this mm -hmm. isn't even necessarily a criticism. I think it's just a fact. They glamorize the mafia. Mm -hmm. This is a romantic, sort of Shakespearean, opulent portrait of people who came to this country and made something of themselves. The American and dream. They're really soft-shoeing the fact that they kill a lot of fucking people to maintain mm -hmm. and keep that power. And yeah, it sucks that his family was killed by gangsters <laughs> when he was a kid. How many orphans has he caused in his lifetime? Yeah. And how many has he continued to cause? And do we ever see him sweat it? Or does the movie ever ask the audience to sweat it? I would argue not at all. I do think that this does romanticize crime in the way only Hollywood can. But, I mean, some people say that anything's romanticized. If you shine a light on it and point a camera on it, in some way it becomes a glamorization or a dilution of something. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tightrope line that you walk. 
but I think that other directors have found solutions to it. Martin's so sissy. But, uh, yes, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, I think that I will also agree with you as the transition from Pacino going from ice cold to ice colder mm-hmm. is less interesting mm-hmm. by a great degree. His, his best scene, um, and again, this ruins a surprise for those who haven't seen it I before. I know it you, but, but, no, actually, no. No? No, it's... And I, I, I mean, I like that scene, and it's the famous one, the scene where, where his wife, Kay, reveals that she didn't have a miscarriage, that she had an abortion, and, and she would rather it. go to hell and commit this sinful act than, than produce another one of his children. And, and you now it's flashy Pacino, but he's calm, and then, then he, he hits her, and it, it just... Uh, it is is so scary and so powerful, and I think that's that's his best scene in the in the film. I don't know if you agree with me or not. The rest of it seems very political. It's quite calculated, um, and it's again trying to figure out. Okay, so who actually attacked my family between these um, these two two candidates? The the one who was a guy from the old neighborhood who was loyal to his father, and uh, this. Uh, a Jewish uh, businessman uh, Hyman Roth in yep. Miami, uh, played by uh, yeah, who was one of the uh, method acting teachers of the 20th century, Absolutely. and so it's really kind of cool to see him in there. And I think he did teach Pacino. I think Pacino would have been thrilled to ha- to be able to act in these scenes with him just as a person. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I um, I found some of that stuff a lot more interesting. I do like the scene you're talking about between he and, and his wife. Generally speaking, Diane Keaton's a weird figure for me. Like, uh, Miscast, I think. Well, I don't think she sucks, but I almost always feel like I'm just watching Diane Keaton. And there are actors who can pull that off. Like, I feel that way about Christopher Walken. Like, very <laughs> rarely does Christopher Walken disappear into a role, right? Um, but it's interesting, because if there was an argument to my think this is, you know glorifying gangsters and the one character in all three of these movies that seems to be standing steadfastly against that current mm-hmm. is her yes but my problem with that is that she stays with him for 50 years right well yeah she sort says of. you're going to destroy me you're going to corrupt me and you're going to cause the death of our children and she's 100 percent correct on all of those points right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh but, but it's kind of in a well, and I guess the bigger stretch is is the third film because mm-hmm. all that time has passed, and she's still very still angry there. at him, rightly so. He's, how he treats her. Well, there's a moment in each of the films where he just treats her like nothing, like an outsider. Like they have, they they have both movies have the the shot of the door being Closed. slammed or being closed in her face, and and in Godfather Two, it seems like kind of a final. Yeah. The final thing. Uh, so I, I maybe have a little bit of trouble. I'm, I, I like The Godfather 3 more than a most lot of people. people. Um, but believing that he would that she would warm up to him again and all that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, I think she is, yeah, she, she's the one who kind of, no, she doesn't go anywhere with it. I mean, she stays kind of this character. She doesn't change. Yeah. But it is tough to sort of, if you're in a, an abusive relationship of any kind, to get out of it. And there's still something dynamic about well, about this guy and it's the tough. lifestyle. 
like but again, Scorsese explores the women who are connected to uh, these, these. I'm going to be a hypocrite too because there'll be a moment later on where I say they're going to need to spend less time with the women. But in this case, since she is the one woman that we're given <laughs> access to, it seems like I think I needed to understand their relationship more. If they are that cold to each other for that long, they should probably not be married. In a way, I think it would be more interesting, you know, if we saw her struggle. If she, we saw that she saw all the evil in him, but she still found him irresistible. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't find him irresistible. She fucking hates his guts. She just well, stays, right? And to that end, I mean, and again, it would work against the glamorization of it. What if instead of this cold, composed mafioso leader... Part of Michael's problem is that he isn't cut out to be a leader. Part of his problem should have been is that he's banking all of his success on his name, but he doesn't have a career of bloodthirsty gangsterism in him. Well, that'd be a different movie. It seems to imply that he is just inherently good at being a gangster because he was formed in Robert De Niro's ball. Well, (laughs) and uh, but 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 I don't. And I, I think that'd be a different movie. It's a and, 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 it's a page one well, and it goes back to The Godfather because they, they are very much linked together. The irony in The Godfather is that the the son who is most suited to, to lead this family Doesn't want to. <laughs> is the one who's against crime and is the war hero and all that. And then things change because James Caan, who was... Uh, gave the flashiest performance in The Godfather and it would have been interesting he's almost more in a Scorsese film mm-hmm. it would have been interesting to see him, three movies with him in there um, <laughs> but, 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 but he is too coach. crazy too impulsive he is not a good leader yeah can't be and then the focus of this film is the is the brother who gets somewhat forgotten about in the first film he's sent off to Vegas and he doesn't Fredo's problem is he never has one place or shown in his life right no He's never been like the favorite kid. He's never been the kid who got stuff uh-huh. done. He's never even been the black sheep of a family. He's just been Fredo. And he's, and, and so he does something because this is a very, watching it this time, I really focused on that part of the movie. And I have other times too, but here I was watching it. Was my, well, I mean, I've, I've seen it several times. Um, I was watching it like De Niro's the guy who won the Oscar for this film. Yeah. And, and and watching that again, I. I'd have to look back at the list. I'm not sure I would have voted for him for... Uh, there's a couple nice things he does. Uh, I, I like that he makes... Uh, I'll make him an offer I can't refuse. He makes it his his own. He changes the wording a little bit. I'll make him an offer he don't refuse or something yeah. like that. It's, and uh, I and, like it, and it's an Italian of, language yeah, performance. Yeah, he does the entire performance pretty much in Italian, mm-hmm. which for me just Other is than a couple words. impressive. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's he's quite powerful, and it, it's an introspective, like we said about De Niro, an introspective type of performance because watching his eyes, he's figuring all of this out as it as, as he it learns things out. about the neighborhood. He doesn't rush into uh, anything in in a lesser film. He would go gunning for this guy and, and be a big star in the neighborhood. It, it would be fast, but this is a very deliberately paced film. They all are. They're all over three hours long. I, this I think the, this might be the longest of the three. This is the beast of the bunch. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I've said in the past, I don't know that any movie needs to be more than three hours long. Oh, I love, I, but I, I if love there's long a movies. Movie, but, uh, if there's a movie that can get away with being over three yeah. hours long, I guess I would argue that The Godfather Part Two is. And mm-hmm. just from the, the amount and size of the conversation that we're having about this movie, Well, I there's think, so much to the... Because <laughs> if we look at... 
And, and, and really, the Vito Corleone story is a supporting story. I mean, it doesn't have nearly the screen time that the Michael Corleone story does, even yeah. though you might argue that it's a little bit more interesting. Yet, the Michael Corleone story is so elaborate. And, and, the, and you need to watch the movie several times to figure out who's betraying whom. And you, you see a lot of these these faces, these these were the... Uh, just find these these uh, these guys that look like they they'd be character actors for forever in uh, in in mafia movies and Trifier okay so like I remember that guy's face but he, he, so he's the bodyguard with uh, who's that doing guy um, okay and then why all right so that's that's Michael's bodyguard at this point and because there's all these scenes that that are really really important and I. Uh, you know, now I can watch it and I can appreciate some of that other stuff. Uh, the past I, gives the characters history and depth. Yeah. So even though we see less of them in the modern age, we kind of feel more impact to their mm-hmm. wins and losses. You know, yeah. it, I mean, I think that uh, you know, the original Godfather's greatest fear would be that one of his sons would grow up to execute the other. Yeah, and he, that's he, exactly Michael goes what so happened. wrong, and and that was the most powerful thing this time because I. I thought I've seen this movie so many times, and there is the length, right? But you know, so I, I uh, was it the last one I saw, or no? I actually saw one of these twice because I, I, when I first chose decided to do this, I watched one of them, but then there had been a little bit of time, so I went and rewatched another one. I think it was the so it was the second last one I watched, and I thought, well, it's it's not going to affect me. Yeah. This movie's not going to affect me. I could say that with all of these, I you know. It's not going to affect me, but then it got me. Yeah. It got me late in the film, and it, it and it had to do with, uh, with with Michael killing his brother. And and what was an effective scene? I always thought it was kind of a gratuitous scene before, but what was very effective for me this time was they have the flashback. So we're in a movie with a prequel, by the way, mm-hmm. and then the sequel. The, but then there's a flashback to the in between movie. to the previous movie. And as I understand it, that scene was maybe going to be in the first movie or something I, I don't know but it's we, we see the whole family again and it's just before uh, it's 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 the Don's birthday and um, Michael's going to announce that he's he's signed up to uh, to fight in World War two right. which no one's happy nobody about. is happy about um, about doing this um, uh, and to me the saddest moment is so this is just after he's killed his brother and we're kind of reliving this memory with Michael Corleone and the only person that is kind to him about this is Fredo. Fredo says, oh, congratulations. And then Santino like hits him away and says, what are you doing, you idiot? You know, this is his biggest mistake. Get out here. You don't treat Fredo the way he had been treated by everybody. In a completely corrupt family, Fredo is still, even with what he has done by comparisons, Innocent to a lot of oh, the he people. Is. He wants to go fishing. He's he's doing the um, uh, and even the whole business of him saying, uh, "You have nothing to fear as long as our mother's alive," <laughs> like, and then yeah. the mother dying, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know this thought that maybe now that mom's dead, enough time's gone by that maybe you'll let this go. And no, not at all. No. We don't play in compromise. But of course, and that's maybe the parallel between Vito. And his son yeah. remembered. Okay, this is this man killed my entire family when I was a little child, 
and now I have the power, I have the means, I can go to Italy, I can hire people mm-hmm. from Corleone to be in on a conspiracy to, to kill this guy who would have been the dawn for a long time, you know, and had all the security, but, uh, uh, and Michael never forgets what, what Fredo did to him and, uh, and the entire thing is planned in that moment. The and nicest it, thing he does is kill him while he's fishing. But it's his favorite thing. Yeah, that was his well, and, favorite and it's thing. not even he's not even the one who he orders. No, I know, it. but I mean, yeah, he he obviously made the order, right? Yeah. Anyway, I think we need to wrap up. Okay. Godfather two because we've been talking for like it's, a half an hour. I I I actually like the Godfather better than the Godfather Part two. We but that, that said, it is a great film yeah. that if you have not seen, you need to see. See the Godfather first. If you yeah. haven't seen the Godfather, then Godfather two. And I I like three. Not everybody does. Yeah. I think that Godfather is the masterpiece of the three movies. It is. I really do. I think as a mm-hmm. one cohesive film, I think The Godfather is really, it's really. It's the last solid. old Hollywood epic. I yeah. Think. Um, and part two is you know as good, and in some ways I can see like more ambitious, like way more ambitious. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I do find the length a little bit punishing, and I do, you know, there. I just didn't care as much. I, I mean, I I cared a lot, but I didn't care as much about these characters. I'm very invested in the Godfather every time I yeah. every time I see it, but yet it still got me at the end. Yeah. So and again, uh, I mean, I can cast my vote on Godfather three on another day, but uh, <laughs> uh, I maybe don't have the same amount of vitriol as a lot of people have for it, but it's hard to defend. They found a guy's head in the desert. That's no good. We got a problem. He doesn't listen to me. Maybe he should get lost for a while. Take a vacation. Can't make it any clearer, Sam. I would just get out. I try to do everything for you, even though I knew deep down inside you would bury me. I buried you. You buried yourself. I have to be able to trust you with my life. Can I trust you? Can I trust you? I will go to the FBI. I will go to the police. I am not protecting you anymore. You want me to get out of my own town? You only exist out here because of me. He's a loose cannon. No! Stop it! You realize what you can do? You can get us all killed? You want to get rid of me? Here I am. Go ahead, get rid of me. All right. Casino. As let's be real, uh, Goodfellas too. <laughs> I thought you'd say that. <laughs> um, I love Scorsese. I love mm-hmm. Scorsese, and um, I like that he does a lot of you know gritty thrillers. And the crime thriller arena is something that he will revisit. He finally won Best Picture for The Departed. And although mm-hmm. I don't think it's his best film, I have no problem with them giving him his best picture. You know, I thought it was yeah. I, uh, it was deserved that I, year, I think. Yeah, it, it's a it's a good time. It's a good movie. Um, the great thing about The Departed too is that although it, it it plays in a similar field as Goodfellas, it's a completely different movie. Mm-hmm. I have two big beefs, big beefs, with Casino. And again, this is one of my favorite directors. And you're always toughest on the ones that you love. One is that it's just not as diff- different enough from Goodfellas to validate its existence creatively. Whereas I would say that The Departed is different enough that it that it does sort of validate its existence. Um, how the story is told, the cast, 
the overlaid narration, the tactics used to tell the story, across the board, almost identical to Goodfellas to me. So that's sort of, that's like, it's still a good movie, it's still got a good cast, it's an intricate story. Uh, we, we see this sort of guy who's basically a businessman who's working for the mob, who gets hired to help run the finances for the casinos when the mob's sort of taking over Vegas. And uh, once they realize this ocean of money that's going to be coming out of the place, they have to send in more muscle to control the flow and make sure they're not being stolen from. Because if anyone's going to steal, it's them, damn it. My other big sticking point, and it really pisses me off, is the opening of this movie. Really? Robert De Niro walks into a car. The car explodes. His body flies through the air. We see fire around him. The credits run. There's going to be another movie where we see that has a similar sort of trajectory, where we start with Al Pacino on a bed, and he's bleeding out, or, or he's going to a hospital. We're not sure where he is. The whole movie's going to get us to this point. The problem is, is that when the movie gets us to that point, we've been lied to. Robert De Niro does not explode in the car. That shit didn't happen. And it's not trickery. It's a lie. And to my count, it's the only time Scorsese's ever lied to me. And it stings. <laughs> Your face tells me that you couldn't disagree more. Oh, I, but I, I, I really do feel like narratively, cinematically, they tell you Robert De Niro's dead. It's not like, aha, gotcha. It's not a sixth sense twist. He blows up, and then we come to that scene again, and he doesn't blow up, and it's cheap. And Scorsese doesn't typically deal in cheap. That really stuck, that bothered me. It really did, I'm not gonna lie. But again, this is me trying to find a reason to put it lower on the list than other movies on mm. this list collection of very, very, very strong movies. But please, don't lie to me, respect me. Go ahead, defend it. Okay. <laughs> well, both... Both of my both, are um, bullshit. Good, <laughs> Goodfellas was based on a book called Wise Guys Correct. Uh, by Nicholas Pileggi, who co-wrote with, with uh, Scorsese, Goodfellas. And then he wrote this other book about the, the mob in uh, Las Vegas and how he kind of created Las Vegas and then what happened. Um, in both cases, they, they mask the names, and wisely so. They mask the names of some of the people, even though folks from uh, Goodfellas identified themselves afterwards. Goodfellas but, is based on a true story. Casino is inspired by a true story. I think those are yes, a fair it distinction. Is. But I, I, I feel like the reason that uh, there, some of the same techniques were used... Um, if it ain't broken, is, is be, it? Well, no, it's because... Uh, they're adapting this uh, these nonfiction books, and when when you're dealing with a, a novelist, well, it's not a novelist, but a, a writer of nonfiction, true crime, um, then there there is some stuff that needs to be narrated. Um, there's some background information that you're going to need to get the full story. And Scorsese found the the best way to do that was with the voiceover narration. Now I am I'm not going to be saying that Casino is the good is uh, equal to Goodfellas. Okay. I don't want to say that, um, but I, I absolutely love this movie. I think it's visually it is so interesting. Um, this is there were a lot of these movies were came out in the the prime of my interest in in, in films, but 
Saskatchewan used to have this uh, ratings system, which was called restricted, no one under 18 admitted. Right. So even if I was 16 years old and I had uh, my parents with me or something, you could not get in. Yeah. So I, I can say that um, and confess, well, I've confessed before, but uh, Casino is a movie that I legitimately snuck into. Mm-hmm. My friend and I bought tickets to Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, mm-hmm. and we went into the other theater and... Until the lights were down, we were, I was like, am I going to be caught? That kind of thing. I was, I was hell bent on seeing this film in theaters. It's a big screen film, like a lot of Scorsese movies, but particularly this type of thing. And that opening sequence, um, you know, for, for lack of a better term, blew me away. (laughs) So I I did, I did not have a problem with it. And I like movies where, because this is not the only, and, and other other screenwriters and, and filmmakers have used this where there's a scene at the very beginning of the movie and you don't know quite what's going on and then they go back and then the, the film tells its story and you go back and you see this scene again but it's not necessarily the most important moment in the film I, I didn't it's have I didn't have a huge problem with, with with how all of that happened and how that worked out because um, Honestly, somebody had to tell the story, and once we get to that point in the you know the the linear story, um, our main characters are being knocked off one after another because the th- things house. have gone completely wrong here. They're and cleaning house. Anybody who knows anything is getting wiped off. The table. It's it's sort of meant to be, and again, Scorsese movies often have, like again, a lot of these movies have a certain morality, but Scorsese, growing up Catholic, he likes to throw in a lot of, uh, a, a lot of religious uh, um, imagery. Im- imagery in there, um, and you might argue that Ace Rothstein, while a lot of the stuff that he did was probably not all that moral, uh, he... He didn't, you know, he tried to stay moral and true to himself and true to his word. And so if somebody is going to be uh, spared by God in that particular moment, it's, it's going to be this guy. Great. All of that's fine, Jason. Don't show him fucking explode. But Even if did you turned, get your attention? If, were you like excited about this movie when you see, saw it? We're going to watch this movie that leads up to the death of Robert De Niro. They also established that it doesn't matter. It's not like he's our only narrator. Everybody takes a turn narrating. Yeah. In fact, one of our characters gets killed in the middle of his narration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So that's not a rule. That's not a rule. If he got into his car, he turned the ignition and the screen went blank and we heard an explosion, I would have accepted that. But he's but you didn't flying, like actually seeing it and the title sequence. The air and there's oh, fire I love that. all around him. And it's all of the lights of, of Vegas. I was it's so... a stylistic choice, but it is a lie. And it's the first thing that you tell the audience. We don't know it's a lie until we get the payoff. we got to break away from that because it's a three-hour movie and this is the yeah, first it's a, and and it's, it's, a, it's a crazy plot, too. It's the sticking point for me, like one of mm. the big things in this movie that, that bugs me, but I want to move past it. Um... There are two supporting performances in this movie that uh, I think are quite strong and interesting. And one of them surprises me because I've always been up and down on Sharon Stone. Mm-hmm. But I gotta give her credit for playing this character full bore. Yeah. Because she's awful. She's awful. She's mm-hmm. layered and she's like a full fledged character, but yeah. she's a horrible person. 
And Sharon Stone has no problem with that. She has no problem showing us that. I think a lesser actor would have sort of found a way for her to genuinely be the victim role, instead of being a character who plays the victim role and uses that over yeah. and over again. But one of the performances to me that quietly kind of steals this movie is James Woods as oh, her you like that. slimy yeah, I did too. boyfriend. Oh. He is so awful. He's one of these guys that's like, you can literally see the fumes of dog shit lifting off his hair. And there's at least four women in the world that are just obsessed with him that he uh-huh. constantly fucks with, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I, like, uh, I know this sort of character exists in the world. I've never understood it. And yeah. it's so cool seeing James Woods, who's you know usually the high-energy, super cool guy, playing this utterly, utterly reprehensible. In a way, the movie should have like ended with those two gro- driving off into the sunset mm. together. Sharon Stone and James Woods deserved each other. Yeah, in some ways. But I think it's this whole idea of trying to fix this guy. Oh, yeah. he's actually a sweet guy. No, you he, don't know him like I do. He doesn't know him. He's a pimp. Yeah, she he's will a make pimp, but any excuse for this guy, but De Niro, if he wavers to the left or right slightly, she'll just lose her mind on him. Anyway, and, and as an actress who I've found up and down inconsistent, I say sometimes mm-hmm. I think she's strong, sometimes I think, whoa, what the hell was that? Well, she hasn't had a great next act. No, it's I mean, true. I the, mean, the 90s were her time. It's true. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, uh, bravo to Sharon Stone. I really like it. Yeah, this was, uh, she got an Oscar nomination for it. She won a Golden Globe. You wore your Joe Pesci shirt. Yeah. Obviously, uh, Joe Pesci's great. He's a very solid actor, and he's really good at don't, playing this Don't role. you bash him. Yeah. I'm not here to bash I Pesci. I got the pen in my hand. <laughs> I'm not here to bash Pesci. And he, once again, exactly like in Goodfellas, provides the menace and the violence and the evil, you know? <laughs> uh, and he's so funny. I mean, that, <laughs> that's the thing that's so great about it. It wasn't as fully realized as it was in Goodfellas, in Goodfellas and people did not expect that from him. Mm-hmm. I remember Pesci was kind of, he was this guy, of- he was in Raging Bull and, and he did some comedies and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I'm not sure anybody was quite prepared for Goodfellas. Goodfellas. And put this in your brain. He did. Goodfellas and Home Alone back to back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Home Alone's funny, by the way. That's it really odd. A tangent, like you see him grumbling where yeah. like all of the words he really about. wants to say yeah. are, are being censored in that movie. Scorsese but, lets him say whatever he wants. If you watch Home Alone now, you think it's Joe Pesci because Joe Pesci plays the bad guy in the Goodfellas movie. That's not it mm-hmm. at all. He was just yeah. cast in the, the same year because he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like him in this movie. and uh, Good. I like the way he, he ramps up the tension. They kind of use him in, in a way like, because you know him from the previous movie, you know not to trust him, you know he's bad root yeah. use, and you're right about that, yeah. like 100%, but there's some joy in that performance. If there's a complaint about it, and it's not really a complaint, is it? it's not a hell of a lot different than what he did in Goodfellas, now is it? <laughs> He is treated to possibly the grisliest gangster death in film history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, as usual... The no, violent... the one that he commits, or... No, his death. His actual Well, his death, death. Is, pre- is very grisly. Yeah. But there's a, a previous one. This is where I'm talking about what they, they up that, I think, yeah. from Goodfellas to Casino. The, the murder scenes are... <laughs> Are I was gonna say, wild, and I'm like, and whatever... Violence. How old was I? I don't even... I have to think about how old I was... Ten, eleven, or whatever. When I'm watching this, and I, this is like, this is exactly what I was expecting from this film. <laughs> but then, so much more. 
there's a guy with his head in a vice, head in a vice, and his eyes pop out. <laughs> and, and then Pesci, like the the, the narration, because he's finally he's allowed to be in on the narration. His narration's hilarious because <laughs> he keeps like adding in f words, yeah. and he's like uh, like this. Uh, he, he's a he would refer to these the. Now these old Mormons here, and this, <laughs> I, 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 this, I, I learned a, a, a phrase which I, I, to this day, I use as like balloon head. Like he talked about. Now this balloon head over here, and I, I just thought, what, what a great. And I don't know if that came from him or from the screenplay, I'm, I, because I know Scorsese trusted him to, to kind of do his own thing, you know, because he's a funny guy. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Am I funny to you? <laughs> and, but he will, um, but. Yeah, but, but he's he's torturing this guy for days on end, and he says he's developed this respect for this guy who won't, like, die <laughs> after all these days. And then he finds out who this guy was uh, was covering up for. He said, you let me beat you for three days for that? And then and then he goes and pops the guy's eyeball out yeah. and he's like, shoot him. Because he's even more yeah. angry about it now. <laughs> well, the anyway, thing is for me, like... Yeah, his death is, is brutal, too. Scorsese's always been really good for the violence. Even, like, the violence in the Godfather movies are quite strong, too. But it's sort of the quick fight of the 13th whack kills mm-hmm. in, in, in The Goodfellas, right? People are trying to squirm out of the... off the hook, in a way, and they're brutally bludgeoned. And the, the scene that really bothers me in that movie, everyone talks about the head vice. The dude who they make him put his hand down... On the table. Oh, because I thought like, that was going to be... And it's like what you think is going to happen. Yeah. Because they took the chainsaw out. It's like, cheater's justice. And I'm like, oh, we're going to watch this guy. You know. No, they take oh. a hammer and they oh. break every bone in his hand. And it's all in one shot on the screen. I mean, even today, I'm not sure how it's accomplished. It's just brutal. Oh, it, it just looks so... It uh, looks awful. And uh, and again, there's a scene where two gangsters get uh, meet their end with baseball bats in a hole oh, in, the yeah. in the field. And one of them and is still that. gasping for air and alive as they're burying him. Yeah. And it's horrifying in a way. I'm sorry, nothing in the Godfather films <laughs> are. No, no, no. And, and I think it was something you were hinting at um, with the Godfather review is that you don't see... You don't see the other side of this. Right. In the Scorsese films, you yeah, there's everything. a lot of violence, a lot of glamour, mm-hmm. sort of around these these mafioso characters. But then something happens at the end; they get their comeuppance. Yeah. You know, something happens. Either they go to jail, uh, they, and that's the best case scenario. They end up dead, or uh, in case of Goodfellas, witness relocation program bored out of his mind. But yeah. I, you know. It, but not dead. <laughs> you know, and and again, it's about it's about uh, again the religious thing with uh, committing these sins. In this case, greed. You know, can you live in sin? Greed, greed is the focus of this film from start to finish, and it's it's really it's it's all over the Sharon Stone character. <laughs> like Ace Rothstein, I, I I like I actually think he's 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 so serious about gambling. And he has this reputation that he always picks a winner, and that's how he gets this position by these Kansas City mobsters. And he's that's just his thing. Like that's his business, knowing that, and he knows everything about casinos, and he's serious about it. Um, I, I don't think he cares about the money or anything that goes along with that. Uh, he sees something he wants, and then he buys it, and he'll spend lots of money. And that's how but, he treats his. But wife. he's also. He's got he's got a blind spot like all these characters have a blind spot, 
Stone's character, her blind spot is is Lester, this pimp. Yeah. His blind spot is the, is Sharon Stone's character because he knows exactly what she's about. He sees her um, scamming all of these guys in the casino. Well, that's who I want to marry. She's and, beautiful. Yeah. It's a shallow decision. It, it is. It's he's all as, superficial. You know? He's as shallow as she is, but for some reason he clings tenaciously to her. He still wants to be with her, no matter how terrible mm-hmm. she shows herself to be. And it does. I don't lie. It got, it, I get frustrated, but I also recognize it as a true thing. And you're absolutely right. Is is whereas she can see, she doesn't will make any excuse for the James Woods. He'll make any excuse for her, up until the point where she like starts fucking everybody he knows and actively you know threatening to turn him into the FBI. Like, oh yeah. It does. It does really good manipulation. Like you get angry at characters, you react emotionally to the screen while you're watching. Mm-hmm. And these are all very good things, but they're all things that I think were accomplished better in good films. Yeah, but I, again, a standalone is a standalone film. I mean, if yeah. I'm just because the last two films, and that will happen with a lot of these, we're yeah, referring to some other films. I mean, that's just my habit as well, but. Please watch uh, but the scene. I, this is not a This is a terrific film. And I kind of anticipated that you'd be going in that direction. So that's why I feel like I'm the defender, defender. Of, <laughs> of, of Casino. Because there are shots in this movie which are spectacular. There's that shot of uh, Las Vegas at night. Yeah. And it's totally black around the desert. And you just see this, all these lights and the, and the cameras coming in on Vegas. It's so exciting. Um, the music. He uses music so well in every film but yeah. here particularly well and I'm thinking there's there's a desert meeting with De Niro and Pacino we haven't talked about that a whole lot but they, or, they get into uh, a situation Pacino, where uh, or, sorry uh, with Pesci and De Niro yeah um, uh, yeah the, in kind of a centerpiece is they they end up on opposite sides of an issue and then they have a bit of a war with each other um, and De Niro's been summoned to meet Pesci in the desert. Well, yeah. there are a lot of holes dug in the desert. And, and you're waiting for him to come. And then this, this piece of classical music comes on. And it is the perfect music for that scene. And you see... The cries. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in most, most situations, I would say I'm, you know, I, I'm safe with this guy. But this would be, this would be the time where, where he could kill me. And uh, it just adds to the tragedy of this this relationship that's falling apart and a lot of the relationships, but also it, it just makes the movie big. It's a big movie, uh, perhaps melodramatic in places. And that's, it's a, that's fine with me because I think they, they earn it. A list cast and an amazing director. Yeah. Like watch casino. Yes, please. I do. just, as good as it is, it's not going to rank super high on this list for me. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Los Angeles, 1937. There are lots of guys like J.J. Gittes. They're easy to find, if you want to find them. Mr. Gittes, have we ever met? Well, no. Never? Never. Since you agree with me that we've never met before, you must also agree with me that I've never hired you to do anything, certainly not spy on my husband. I don't get tough with anyone, Mr. Giddies. My lawyer does. You do your job. And sometimes you find the answers to questions that should never be asked. 
or you find out what happens to people who ask them. Hold it there, kitty cat. You're a very nosy fellow, kitty cat, huh? You know what happens to a nosy fellow? Oh. Oh. I dislike the word cheat. Did you have affairs? Mr. Giddies. Did he know about it? Where were you when your husband died? You were seeing someone, too. For very long? I don't see anyone for very long, Mr. Giddies. It's difficult for me. Mr. Giddies, you're dealing with a disturbed woman who just lost her husband. I don't want to take an advantage of. Well, let's back into this one. Beep, 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 beep. Um, Roman Polanski. Um, he's one of these directors which uh, I want to like, but I, I, I don't always believe the hype. There's a few things that are hard to deny. I think that The Pianist is a pretty impressive movie. I yeah. think Rosemary's Baby is one of the most important horror movies ever made. Mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, Chinatown is one of the greatest pieces of noir that modern Hollywood has produced. Maybe the last truly great one, with the notable exception of The Big Lebowski. So, Do you like L.A. Confidential? <laughs> oh, yes. I love L.A. Confidential. So, yeah, I, I stand corrected, West, Jason. Yeah. I stand corrected. Um, but there's this whole thing going on. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. It's probably just as well. But the dude who directed the Jeepers Creepers movies. Salva. Victor Salva. If you want to do the third movie here in Canada... And he was kicked out because he's a registered sex offender. We don't want we don't want we don't want his business in <laughs> Canada apparently. Mm-hmm. And it goes to this thing like, uh, can we respect the artist for their art and forgive the other personal stuff? Mm-hmm. I don't want to make this about you know the fact that he you know roofied a girl and did all these terrible things. But mm-hmm. when I hear about Polanski, it's more that side of Polanski. It's Polanski like the guy who skipped town and is you know. Uh, mm-hmm. living in Europe not by choice but because still to this day or no I think maybe it's been settled now but for almost 30 years of his career if he set foot in America he could be arrested um, so when people say why is it that Roman Polanski is so respected my knee-jerk reaction is always well there's Chinatown <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and again like the pianist is really good and I understand the love for Rosemary's Baby I feel it's kind of a dated movie by today's yeah, standards, yeah. but still creeps it, me out. It, when it came out too, that score—you could listen to that score by itself oh. and it'll creep you out. Yeah. Um, for the time, it came out a very significant horror movie. But I guess what I'm trying to say in a really roundabout way is that I don't hold Polanski in the same level, I guess, as I do these other ones. Partly is that I'm not as familiar with some of his other works, and partly some of the other ones that I've seen I just haven't liked that much. Yeah. But um, Chinatown. If I was going to pick a favorite, it would be my favorite. Because it's sort of the noir movie. And it's got Jack Nicholson in his fucking prime, you know. Faye Dunaway, before she completely lost her mind and became someone you couldn't work with or even talk to. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, And it's this composed, old school noir piece. And uh, if you're familiar with the gumshoe sort of novels and this sort of aesthetic... It is simultaneously familiar because it shows you all of the templates and all of the rules of this world while breaking every single one of those oh, rules. 
So, like, it's the perfect noir movie while being the anti-noir movie. Uh, and for that, I, I, I must compliment it greatly. So I guess where I start with this bitter little pill, and I do sort of think of it, it is the 1970s No Country for Old Men. <laughs> uh, it's a nihilistic, dark thriller that everybody loves. And I guess I'll include myself with everybody. Uh, where do you land on Chinatown? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, there are two directors, I, American directors, uh, he's not American, actually, he's Polish, but, um, that I, uh, who made, mostly made American films, um, that when I mention that I, I like them, I get giant hate comments, mm-hmm. or like, how could you possibly, one is Polanski, the other is Woody Allen. Right. And Same both reason. for similar similar reasons. Um, but I think their, 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 their work is comparable too in that they have some really great films and some really not so great films. Like, I don't think they're as consistent as, say, even a Francis Ford Coppola or a Martin Scorsese. Oh, really? Well, I, Scorsese, yeah, Scorsese, most of what he touches is great. It's not perfect. Um, Woody Allen makes a movie a year, so you're not going to, you know, you're not going to hit... Uh, Hit a hundred percent with yeah. uh, with doing a movie a year. Uh, Polanski, I think, has a better percentage. I, I would be interested at some other point to talk to you about the ones that you are saying <laughs> are are not not that that fantastic. Because I I always I, I like being in mo- movies, and that was the case with a lot of these movies. Where um, when the first time I saw them, I had no idea where they were going. Right. And Chinatown fits that perfectly. It is a Perfect, perfectly structured screenplay, Robert Town. Um, here, here. And I, I, I love the homage to kind of the Humphrey Bogart detective film noir. Uh, at the beginning, they do the credits in in kind of a quasi black and white. They change the coloring a little bit, and then it's a and then we get into it, and it's a color film. And I, I think it is the best film noir that uh, has been made. In color, because film noir lends itself to black and white really well. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it is interesting when I first saw LA Confidential, I was thinking of Chinatown. Um, and un- unfortunately, I think at the time I thought, well, Chinatown is better. But I, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I simply love this movie. Um, it's going to be high up on my list. It's mm-hmm. one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. Um, I love all of the performances. I love every moment of it. Uh, rewatching it, there's no exception. I, I this time it was it was just admiring the structure of it, and again, this was knowing the payoff, seeing how every single thing that happens in this movie has a purpose. Yeah. There, there there's no extra scenes. There's nothing unnecessary in there. Uh, there's a very early on. There's a a big long there's this joke that Nicholson tells that uh, he's repeating this ju- kind of racist joke that he heard at, uh, at a barber shop um, and you're like well what's like what's what's the point here but but then as you as you kind of listen to that and, and think about it later in the film there it has a lot of significance like every time uh, Chinatown is mentioned there's just something ominous about Chinatown and yeah. Um, and, and and as things unravel, you start to get it. Start to get why it is, for this so, guy, Chinatown is hell, pretty right. much. Well, 
the noir tradition has a lot of rules here. You got the chain-smoking, hard-drinking detective. Yeah. You got the dame who comes in and she can't be trusted. In fact, when he initially meets the dame, it's not even her. Mm -hmm. It's it's a woman posing as her, hiring him because of how careful she has to be about this. So you got this dame who's going to be a problem. You've got this not necessarily altruistic detective. Mm -hmm. And uh, she needs something from him, but there's an essential piece of information that she's denying him. This is not just from Chinatown. This is noir, okay? Yes. And what this movie is, is it's counting on its audience to understand all of these things. You know how this works. So you're going to watch a template. In the same way, if you watch Scream, it's assuming that you've watched a lot of slasher movies Mm -hmm. and you know the rules of the slasher movies. So when they subvert them, you can enjoy it. There's a level of that to this too, but it's not a funny way. It's just, it's smart, it's savvy, right? So, and this is the one that they couldn't, they couldn't have made this film before, you know, before the 1970s. It's informed by what happened because there's there's stuff in here which would not pass the censors. I keep on John Huston. There it was uh, John Huston oh, plays so Noah Cross, who's a filmmaker who delivers an amazing performance in this movie. Right? Well, he made, he 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 made film noirs. Yeah. I mean, having him in the movie is an homage to. To that genre. Yeah, and uh, very deliberately. So, yeah. like, I, not that I don't think he was wrong for the part, but I think that that was a lot of why he's there. <laughs> um, the idea that this woman, well, there's another shoe that needs to drop about this woman, and nine times out of ten, it usually means it's bad news. And the fact that she's irresistible to the detective, even though he knows she's bad news, he has mm-hmm. to sleep with her. All he knows that she's things, lying. She, yeah. even, even though he knows that she's lying, yeah. he's still, he's still going to. Yeah. Check that box off, yeah. right? Like, again, it's in like cliche, cliche, cliche. And then the rug is utterly pulled out from under you. I don't even know that, like, if you want to talk about it, we can, but for the time being, I'm not even going to reveal it. <laughs> because the idea of spoiling Chinatown for someone is horrifying. Yeah, I, I, yeah we'll avoid once, that. But once it's she so gives good. the essential reveal, the essential important piece of information <laughs> to him, not only does it subvert everything that we've seen before and yeah. put everything on its head, uh, it's the turning point in the movie where he goes from a guy who's going to get shit done and has... Maybe not the power, but the answers or the ability to get the answers to a guy who is the opposite mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And not only is he the opposite of that, at sort of the lowest point of his failure, we're going to fade to black and we're going to roll credits. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that, that, that noir films always necessarily have to have a happy ending. That's one of the interesting things about noir movies, right up there with like short horror fiction. It's one of the few genres where they seem to give you permission to go with a dark ending if you want it. It's not that the ending is dark. It's just how brutal it is. Oh, it's... It's like this thing that you're trying to investigate, this this cabal, this the system of power you're trying to bring down is so vastly much mm-hmm. bigger than you that it, it's an ant trying to chop down a tree. It's hilarious, right? And it's it kind of like LA Confidential. Mm-hmm is about how Los Angeles was formed today. You know, (laughs) the idea of the valley and and the water system. And and, and, like, we won't get into that because it's so detailed Mm -hmm. at the beginning. And there's these scenes, you're like, what what's going on? Like he's in a city council meeting, and you're following this guy, this what's unassuming the guy. Water commissioner stuff. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff about water in this yeah. film, and you're 
but it somehow Polanski makes it so fascinating and there's all these colorful characters in his movies that, and you sense that there's there's so much more going on than the, than what we have and I, I, I don't know what it is but I, I just like how he makes movies <clears throat> and I, I really like uh, everything about this um, it's one of Nicholson's best performances I, I, I paid a lot of attention to Faye Dunaway uh, in this, I, I, Faye Dunaway was on a hot streak from Bonnie and Clyde onward. In in she well into she, she won she she won the Oscar for Network, but then yeah, I think the like a lot of from the she eighties onward is this impossibly is pretentious actress. Apparently, mm-hmm. like she's one of these people who you're not allowed to look at her. You're not allowed to have children on set. You're not allowed to like she's this completely. She doesn't. She doesn't behave or treat people like people, right? She's just been too famous for too long. But, but her will, performance is so good because you watch every single thing that she does, and on the surface, okay, good. It's kind of like in some ways with the Sharon Stone character in Casino, um, good-looking blonde woman, um, and the character could be a stereotype. Mm-hmm. But if you're watching every line delivery, every reaction. Her eyes, what she is doing, how she's reacting to Nicholson and some other situations. Um, it, it is all important and it's, it's part of trying to figure out this puzzle that we're, we're seeing the film through Nicholson's character's eyes. And um, except he's more confident than we are, at, you know, <laughs> he thinks he knows what's going on. Polanski's movies, I know I, I don't know what's going on, but it's so much fun getting to that place. But it, I think to this day, if you watch this film, the plot twist here is absolutely horrifying. Mm-hmm. And it is, I, it's one of the most important movies of the, the 1970s, which was, to me, one of the greatest decades in the history of film. Uh, specifically crime film, too. <laughs> we had like a lot of really good sort of historical oh, epics. terrific stuff. Um, another thing I wanted to mention uh, about Polanski that he does that shares in common with Quentin Tarantino is every now and then he'll show up in his own movies. Yep. But what he manages to do that Quentin Tarantino does not is that he shows up in his movies and he's not that distracting. I mean, he doesn't have the force of personality that Tarantino does. Like, he... He, he, he kind of looks like he could be a British character actor. And yes. He, he does have, he, he's comfortable on screen, which I've never felt like Tarantino is. He's much more comfortable behind the camera than in front. But he plays uh, this heavy who uh, inflicts a really brutal injury on Jack Nicholson. Uh, I'm going to say like almost an unprecedented injury. He, he sticks a switchblade up the side of one of his nostrils yeah. and then tears it out. And we see it happen on screen. And all the blood's and, out. Yeah, and, and, and that level of violence, I do think, even in 74, was pretty shocking and it surprising. Was. Yeah. But what I love about it is that for the next four or five scenes of I the movie, that. he has this huge, like, not in any way small, I'm saying huge bandage on his nose. Comedic, yeah. And it does seem like they pushed it as far as they yeah. could. Like, because... Because you would never see Bogart yeah. in a scene like that. It utterly all takes of the stars of those, cool. those. He has no cool left. No, <laughs> and that and that's why it, it's believable that he gets fooled, and that's why it's the tragedy happens the way it does. Because there's some hubris there, but then there's points where he's he just looks ridiculous. He looks unprofessional as he's telling that yeah. this sex joke about a Chinese couple having sex as. Faye Dunaway uh, makes her entrance in the film, right. and um, like the, the, the guy is very good at his job. 
Uh, he does some clever things as a de- detective, but he also is a bit of a buffoon. Mm-hmm. And that's a way to show that he's a buffoon. And it, it works so well. I mean, it sort I, of takes oh, the cool away from He's it. got the sunglasses over top of the bandage and... It's interesting because the Polanski character, basically by cutting his nose, like he's trying to do that to scare him away. But what he does effectively by doing that is guarantee that Jack Nicholson is not going to back the fuck up. No, it's now it's, on. it's personal now. You mutilated yep. my vanity. Yes. <laughs> right? Like, nah, so not only am I going to get to the bottom of this, I'm going to see your ass in a cell at least, right? And uh, it has the opposite effect, which just proves to be even more tragic for everyone involved. Um, the other thing I wanted to say really quickly, the other movie that, that relies heavily, not entirely structurally, but with sort of a history Hollywood background, noir thriller, kind of, 1988, Robert Zemeckis, Bob Hoskins, Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Seriously, the yes, that the yes. evil judge in Roger Rabbit has yeah. about creating the freeway yeah. yes. <laughs> to reshape Los Angeles yes. is not in, like it's different, but it's not different enough for me to believe it wasn't a direct nod <laughs> to oh, Chinatown. Oh, you know, it had to be. It's just Faye Dunaway's character is replaced by a cartoon. A cartoon. Yep. Because that was what they were showing they could do with that. But. And once again, Mrs. Rabbit is portrayed as negative, but it turns out she's an okay chick. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch Chinatown if you haven't. Are we agreed? Oh, yes, please. And like, also Roger Rabbit, but, but, but Chinatown. I, I, I will take <laughs> Chinatown over any movie that's been released this year. I mean, probably the last few years. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth seeing. Seen, it's worth seeing, multi- like all of these. You can watch them many times and you get something different each time. I get the feeling like you like it more than I do, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're I still so. on I, the same I love page. this movie. We're love on the it. same page. <laughs> Well, he's going out of town of Florida, and he asked me if I take care of him while he's gone. Take care? No, man. Just make sure it's a good time. Make sure she don't get lonely. Girl, you see, this is a moral test of oneself. I do believe Marcellus, my husband, your boss, told you to take me out and do whatever I wanted. I love you so much, can't count on Whether or not you can maintain loyalty. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. Pride only hurts, it never helps. In the fifth, your ass goes down. I have to say, play with matches, you get burned. We should have shotguns for this kind of deal. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? I'm prepared to scout the earth for that night. Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? Get down, get down. You got a corpse in a car, minus a head in the garage. Take me to it. Okay, well, you and I kind of came into our film love formatively in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So in 1994, that was 94, I believe, 94. when Pulp Fiction hits. I mean, it was right in the sweet spot for us. I was in first year university, and uh, I saw it half a dozen times, I would say at least, in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, it delivered on the promise that Quentin Tarantino had shown in Reservoir Dogs, 
and I would argue actually expanded on it. There's a lot of people who still say that Reservoir Dogs is the better film. I don't think I would make that argument. But um, even though Tarantino has been sort of accused of being a more of a remix artist than a filmmaker, in that he watches classic crime movies from the 70s and the 60s mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Drive-In Fair, and sort of takes his favorite bits and pieces and swishes them together into a film. Why I think I agree and disagree at the same time is that his very specific Quentin Tarantino dialogue that are used to get us to those sequences that might be borrowed from other films, that dialogue isn't necessarily borrowed from other films. That's sort of Quentin Tarantino's very specific Tarantino voice, which most of the time I quite enjoy. Um, Narratively, he upped the ante as well. This isn't one story broken up as we're just going to tell in a different time frame. This is several stories broken up being told in a different time frame. (laughs) So... Uh, it was an upping of the ante, and I think it's fair to say that it changed movies easily. Oh, like directly for the next ten years, the fingerprints of Tarantino were over everything: comedies, thrillers. There was so many wannabe pulp fictions mm-hmm. and wannabe cool road noir, tough gangster crime movies. But some of them came close. Some of them were a lot of fun to watch, but none of them are pulp fiction. It's the most significant crime movie that we're talking about, at least, that I, that, that I sort of saw in my formative years. It came out in, in the height of my life. Like, we talk about the Godfather movies in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. They're great movies, but they were before my time. Mm-hmm. This is of my time. This speaks to me. And uh, it's almost a cliche to say, you know, <laughs> I grew up in the 90s and I worshipped Tarantino, but I kind of grew up in the 90s and I kind of worshipped Tarantino. And this movie is a big, big, big part of why. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a bunch of scumbags in Los Angeles doing scumbag things. (laughs) I mean, we could get more into the plot, but A, I'd be very surprised if anyone listening to this hasn't seen Pulp Fiction, and B, if we try to describe every one of the five stories that are being told practically simultaneously, by the time we get to the review, we will have run out of time. Yes. (laughs) So... A bunch of bad people do bad things. I think the most significant characters of note are obviously the John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, and uh, hard to miss Bruce Willis as Butch. So I'm a huge fan of Pulp Fiction. I think that it does uh, earn the hype. And I remember thinking when it came out and we were in the center of the Tarantino storm, it'd be interesting to wait 15, 20 years and see if Pulp Fiction is as potent after it's been diluted, after by all of these other wannabe Tarantino movies and all these other crime movies that, that wear the influence broadly. It's funny, everybody accuses him of stealing but have no problem stealing from him, right? <laughs> Watching it again, it's still funny, it's still energetic, it still hits on pretty much every level that it's attempting to. I can't think of anything that the movie's trying to do that it fails largely at. When I look hard, just like, hey, is there something that I would, mm-hmm. if there's something to change, it would be the same note I always give Tarantino, which is stay behind the camera. <laughs> yeah, you didn't like his cameo. Uh, yeah. Of the cameos that he's done in his movies, Pulp Fiction's probably one of my preferred ones. Mm-hmm. There's no terrible accent. There's no, uh, his character has some purpose in the movie. He's not just in the movie, so Quentin Tarantino can wave, right? But... I love the way that these characters, over and above being criminal scumbags and murderers, 
are human beings who get as caught up in the minutiae of pop music and fast food and trivia as anyone else. Why should they be somehow less human or less you know, distracted by dumbness than you or I just because they happen to be criminals? In his own way, while making this super stylized gangster movie, he might have accidentally made one of the more authentic gangster movies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love, love, love Pulp Fiction, and I anticipate you agreeing with me. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows that uh, I have an irrational love for this film, and I, I, I absolutely love it. So this is my, this is my second story of being. Uh, Dealing with a restricted no one under 18 um, rating. Uh, I remember the summer between grades 9 and 10, and I would watch, I was fully into movies, I was watching entertainment shows all the time, and every single day they were talking about this movie from the Cannes Film Festival, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction's coming out in the fall. This is the, the big return for John Travolta, whose career has been awful, and... Uh, this guy Quentin Tarantino and it's the most shocking movie you ever saw etc etc well and then I couldn't see it for the longest time um, my uncle was in from Calgary and my dad and I, I don't know if I convinced them or whatever but we got in the car we went to the town cinema um, bought the tickets nobody stopped them nobody stopped <laughs> me and so that's why I, I legitimately got into this movie I didn't sneak into it like right. I did with Casino um, and I saw this film and it exceeded all of the hype <laughs> oh yes because I, I just watched this thing and it was just larger than life and this dialogue was so perfect <laughs> and uh, and it's about the evolution of a crime film if we're, we're going back to okay film noir was um, in the black and white films um, yet they were impeded by the censors. Uh, then we got into The Godfather and The Godfather Part 2, which where you, you, you see horrific stuff, but you kind of uh, romanticize and you, uh, you, know, you, you find yourself liking these criminals. Yeah. Um, then you go into Scorsese where he actually shows, like, this is where it ends up in the end. Like, right. you can do all this romantic gangster stuff. But there are repercussions. There are rep repercussions. What Tarantino did is, when gangsters are going to do a criminal act, they aren't solely focused on doing gangster stuff. They're talking about uh, uh, going to Europe and Amsterdam and uh, and he humanized and them. McDonald's and foot massages yeah. and um, and they drink coffee and they have tons of sugar and cream in their coffee. And they'll just talk about things which are not related to the main, the main story. Now, it's a two-and-a-half-hour film. I never realized it was a two-and-a-half-hour film until I was years later. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and watching it, and it's like, holy cow, it's only about half an hour shorter than the Godfather films because yeah. it moves so fast. But yeah, I got I so... I, I, I didn't see uh, the restaurant thing happening. Right. I didn't know that because I've been through all this stuff. At the beginning. I was totally manipulated by him in a good way um, that I've arrived at the same location that I started out in.
But I, I was just so fascinated with the scene at the beginning with Amanda Plummer and Tim Roth. Yeah. And then we, we go through all of this stuff. And it, it's so great. Um, there are three stories, like the three titled stories. Yeah. The Gold Watch is the one that I think gets the least attention. But that's the one where it is so out there. And okay. I, I, at the time, I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen to Bruce Willis in, in this story. And it, it, Side note? Yeah. Roger Avery. Yes, Roger Avery. Roger Avery came up with the stories and co-wrote the script. Mm-hmm. And then Carantino did a sort of his own overpass on it. When he won for best the original screenplay, yeah. he didn't even say Avery's name. Well, Avery was there. Was he there? No. Yeah, Avery went up with him. What was the famous thing where uh, Avery's wife said, you're a son of a bitch? Team Carantino when he was... Carantino was trying to get him to, to, to not qualify for, oh, for that or something. Right. Like, it was... Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Well, here's the thing about Avery. This is why it's a weird aside. <laughs> this is going to sound really weird, but he, the, the Gold Watch story was his. Okay. Yeah. And he also directed this movie that Tarantino produced called Killing Zoe. Yeah. That's and he also film too. written, uh, wrote, and directed this adaptation of The Rules of Attraction. Mm-hmm. What is with Roger Avery and sodomy? Mm-hmm. Because it's a major plot point. In all three of those yes. works. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know that when I watched Pulp Fiction, but... Very strange. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted just to say his name out. I didn't really think to talk shit about him, but as much as everyone says Quentin Tarantino wrote Pulp Fiction, Roger Avery had his, uh, you know, contribution to this, and that shouldn't be missed. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the Butch story is the Bruce Willis story. His father's watch, who his father went through great pains <laughs> to get to him, is forgotten and he must get it. It's funny though, like I talk about uh, everybody remembers Sam Jackson, everybody remembers Travolta, everybody remembers Uma Bruce Thurman. Willis, right? Uh, Uma Thurman, she looked so heartbroken when she didn't win her Oscar. You can see her hard die. <laughs> but I love a lot of the little smaller and smattering roles throughout the movie as well. I honestly, it's weird because it's not a flashy role at all, but one of the performances in this movie that I adore mm-hmm. is Eric Stoltz. Is, uh, oh, yeah. The, the heroine. It's so believable. Human. He's hilarious. Oh, it and is. It's funny because he doesn't have a lot of punchy, punchy, like, funny quote lines. He's just a very believable character, you know? And uh, he uh, runs, the, runs this drug operation out of his house, uh, he's constantly irritated, but still clearly in love with his wife. Yeah. Uh, when he's faced with the prospect of one of his customers bringing an ODing woman to his house. <laughs> he has a, and I heard this horrifying thought that uh, Tarantino's original idea of a cameo for himself was to play that part. Mm-hmm. He was originally going to play that part. And I honestly and I think worked. that would not have worked. That would have been the thing where I was like, ooh. Um, and he, in the end, he decided he wanted to be behind the camera for the needle scene. He yeah. just, he really wanted to. Oh, that had to be. So he ended up playing a different part. But I love that. I, I, it, it's some of the some of the smaller roles, or, or at least the less uh, showy roles. Ving Rhames, who mm-hmm. plays Marcellus Wallace, sort of the big, big bad in L.A. in this sort of 90s noir story. Uh, he's one of these gangster guys who's big and heavy set and doesn't say a lot because he doesn't fucking have to (laughs) and uh, it's there's something effortless about his performance and you just believe him no matter how incredible the scene like 
He wants to kill Bruce Willis. He said he's willing to scour the earth for that motherfucker, right? He said, then Bruce Willis. If he's in Indochina, he wants. (laughs) I won't use the word, but in a bowl of rice. But uh, then Bruce Willis gets him out of an uncomfortable situation right away. Like, even before he tells him that, you know, you're free to go, but you've lost your LA privileges. Mm-hmm. Bruce Willis seems to understand <laughs> that he's bought himself an out. Yes. And it's unspoken. And I find that kind of acting very impressive. It is. Right? Uh, There's a lot of cool stuff with that character, too. Because we don't see his face. Yeah. For half the film. It's, it's There's kind of this bandage at the back of his head. And so, so we don't see him until a very important moment when he appears on the street and Bruce Willis is in the car and that's like the big moment that... Uh, they collide. That, literally. They collide literally <laughs> in the gold watch. Um, and to this day, I, I still... There's things that Tarantino will never reveal about that character <laughs> and this briefcase that, uh, that's, that's very important to, uh, to, in, to, to the story and one story in particular. Um, it's it's, it's it's so cool. There's like no wasted roles in this movie. No, and even people that have one one line roles, like Steve Buscemi shows up as a Buddy Holly leader. <laughs> Kathy Griffith is one of the people that witnesses the car yeah. accident. And uh, Margaret Chow is Margaret in that Chow's scene. In, the, in, in that scene, I think it, Julia Sweeney's at the car. Yeah, it, he has a lot of you know uh, comedians who who show up in, and kind of like Scorsese does too. They yeah. have one two lines, but yeah. somehow they feel really lived in. Uh, there's a great one scene role by Frank Whaley. He actually, I believe, yeah. is the first death in the film. Yeah. And uh, these two gangsters walk in the apart in this apartment, and they've caught him and his crew red-handed, and he knows that his life is on the line, and he's going to try and talk his way out of it. And uh, it's a one scene role, but I really think he kicks yeah. ass in it, right? I, he is outmatched by Sam Jackson. Like no one walks away from that scene no. saying, "Wow." Frank Whaley really nailed it, but, but you I'm need here to him tell you for that scene to work. Frank Whaley really fucking nails it. Of course, Sam Jackson nailed it. I've been on record in this pod- podcast as saying that no movie has been hurt by the presence of Sam Jackson. Like, I'm a fan, <laughs> so I'm not trying to take away from the main players of this movie. I'm just trying to illustrate that the movie is so full of small details, mm-hmm. small character bits, and all of them are just awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like. It's hard to pick a favorite moment in the movie for me. But you touched on my favorite performance, which, again, is one of the flashier performances. But, and and, and I, I posted something about this. We recently lost Martin Landau, mm-hmm. um, who was a great actor. He was in television and his film work, and particularly some of his later film work, was, was outstanding. Um, and he won that year Best Supporting Actor, for Ed Wood, Wood right. and he won every prize, you know, and so it probably shouldn't have been a surprise, but I was young and I was, I was, and I stand by this, I wanted Samuel L. Jackson to win that Academy Award. Right. His power was most <laughs> realized in that movie. He's a powerful, dynamic actor, but that scene is, is it's, it's scary, but it's kind of funny, and I mean, he, you know, like it's it's a torture scene. Like he, 
he uh, he eats the guy's burger and he makes some excuse. Oh, I love a burger. My wife, my uh, girlfriend's a vegetarian, so I don't get one very often. Yeah. And then, can I have a sip of your drink? Just and drinks he drinks the whole sprite <laughs> yeah. while staring at him. And like Frank Whaley, I don't know why he thought he could talk himself out of what was going to happen after that. I don't know that he could talk himself out of it, but in that situation, you have to try. That's the great tension of the scene. <laughs> but if it was just that, I, I'm not sure. That it, you know, it would it would be remarkable. It would be a nomination worthy performance. But what happens to him and the the last scene of the film, uh, Jackson is so good because it becomes quieter. Um, the dialogue is perfect. Um, you and believe his transition. I, I believe his transition. And it's not an easy yeah. thing. He goes from yeah. a cold blooded killer, a man who enjoys killing people. Quotes the Bible just before he kills them. So later that day, basically completely changing his Mm -hmm. life. And in in a way that it's not one of those things where he's, you know, half drunk or in shock. And uh, after a few days, he's going to come to his senses. You get the feeling like this has been a major epiphany. If any character in the movie goes through a major change, it's him. Big time. Uh, And he, again, I mean, I don't think Tarantino, it isn't like with Scorsese where there's kind of a religious thing in all of them, but there that that's in this film and you have two gangsters who are kind of partners Travolta's character and Samuel Jackson's character and one acknowledges the presence of God in that moment and one denies it and which character is breathing at the end of the film <laughs> yeah there's also this ongoing thing I remember reading there's so many people talking about this movie it's been studied like this oh film. but uh, guns, shot by shot by shot guns yeah. working when, or, or not working properly mm-hmm. like one guy empties a gun uh, five chambers of a magnum point black range two people doesn't hit either of them and then a few scenes later John Travolta is having a casual conversation yes. with a guy in the back of the and this guy just fucking goes yes. off and obliterates the dude's head in the, funny, in the funniest <laughs> like and it, that, that's perfect like Tarantino's goal is to to make us laugh and then hate ourselves for what we've just laughed at <laughs> That, that scene is always funny. It's, yeah. it's always hilarious. And it's about Travolta's facial expression. Oh, are you going to believe Margaret? And then it just it, it goes so sideways. And then you're like, that's absolutely horrible. This guy's head is no longer there, yet we're laughing at it. And it's, that's the edge that I'm going to give Pulp Fiction over some of these other films, is that I, I saw it like a half dozen times in theater. I took people to see it who hadn't seen it because you yeah. haven't seen it, slap, right? I mean, yeah, you have to see this movie. And I remember again and again uh, people saying when they came out of the theater, when you asked them their first impressions, they said, that was hilarious. <laughs> it's, yeah. It plays almost like a comedy. Right? It was, it, it got comedy, there, there used to be this thing called the American Comedy Awards. It got nominated for, for as, a, as a comedic film. Yeah. But some organizations. I don't think year. it's a comedy. It's not a comedy. I think it's all, but funny. There's but some funny stuff. A, Harvey Keitel's role is yeah is quite the funny. Wolf. Yeah. Yet you know it's yeah it, it plays in both worlds. Um, there's so much to talk about with this movie. Uh, I I'll go on record and I've gone on record since it came out. I think it is the best screenplay ever written. Wow. I, I and. Agree. Um, it also features the best date scene in any movie. I, I think... Jack Slims? Yeah. I, I, Uma Thurman and John Travolta, uh, 
with Quentin Tarantino's dialogue and in that strange setting and this whole drugged up yeah. thing. Uh, and it could be viewed as a kind of a romantic uh, or romanticized Hollywood type of date because all this stuff happens at the dance contest. And uh, But what I like about it is it, it goes bad after that. Mm-hmm. You know, not, nothing... It doesn't give you the... It doesn't, it doesn't have some payoff. In that lesser film, uh, they might have had sex yeah. and there'd mm-hmm. be this tension, you know, will the boss find out? And all. They're going to find each other irresistible and they're going to fall into each other's arms and that's going to be the thing that's going to make the rest of the movie complicated. No. That's where you think it's going. It's not going there no. at all. And it's, it's so well, everything about it. Characters who are main characters for one story are peripheral in others. Characters who are heroic in one story just get killed in another, yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's, I will say one bad thing. One bad thing about Pulp Fiction. Okay, let's see if I get defensive. Pulp Fiction was so good that it took me three viewings in about five years to decide that I liked Jackie Brown. The energy oh. of Pulp Fiction, like the fact that it had this huge manic energy and so much going on and it was so funny and so busy. He shifted gears so completely mm-hmm. with Jackie Brown by making this slowly paced character study mm-hmm. that I remember the first time I watched it, I kind of thought it was eh. <laughs> like I had to I had to kind of adjust to the water and, and find my way into I, Jackie Brown. Whereas when I watched out of Pulp Fiction the first time, I walked out of there knowing that, yeah, I bet you this is probably one of the best movies of the 90s. And uh, I stand by that. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, if I have to say anything negative about Pulp Fiction, it was so good that it made the greatness of Jackie Brown not immediately. Uh, I, I, loved, I loved Jackie Brown from the beginning. <laughs> I, I, I think... Where we got a little bit fooled is Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir, by the way, not the movie. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are in the same genre. Yeah. And so after Pulp Fiction, and it became, I think, way bigger than anybody involved with it thought Could it was going to be, yeah. uh, they, they wanted to peg him as that type of uh, a writer director or that type of a filmmaker. And that's not what he wanted to be. Yeah. And so he did something completely different with Jackie Brown because he he did he made the best movie he could ever make in that particular genre and he keeps changing i mean yeah. he, he's well, doing things with westerns which are amazing now he he totally ambitious. destroyed the the world war 2 mm-hmm. uh, type of film he's, he's an ambitious filmmaker yeah. and again and we I, didn't know that he was going to change directions yeah. and touch on different genres at that time. We thought it was going to be just this. Again, this was not me saying something bad about Jackie Brown or Pulp Fiction. This was me just desperately trying to find something negative. Yeah, there's say. nothing wrong with that movie. It's perfect. I make my 75. I'm split. Maybe you don't remember 
for me. My name is... Maybe I don't remember the last time I blew my nose. If I ever see you here again, you die. Did you ever kill anybody, Charlie? Guys went down. Yeah. You just do what you gotta do to survive. I give you a million bucks to make a simple payoff and nothing happens. If contract's already down in your palm, you're gonna end up in that river out there. I'm asking for your help. Yeah, well, I ain't dealing. I ain't going back to prison, no matter what. You said you would break my child. I gotta do this, just this one thing, and then I'm out. Every instinct you've got won't do anything but get you killed. He saved my life, Gail. Whatever he wants you to do, don't do it. That's what I am, right or wrong. I can't change that. Never give up your friends, Dave. And there's only one rule, you save your own ass. Didn't you ever have a dream? Yeah, I had a dream, Charlie. But now I'm awake. Carlito Brigante. Yeah, legend. <laughs> here's, the, here's the great thing. Terrible that... accents for both of us, by the way. <laughs> yeah, terrible accents. <laughs> well, uh, we're in this day and age where, you know, people are very sensitive about mm-hmm. casting white actors as, you know, ethnicities. <laughs> And things like Carlita's Way and Scarface aren't going to happen anymore. And maybe that's a good thing. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm of two minds of it. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes I just say, like, obviously it makes sense to cast the right person for the part. But I don't know. I, I get a kick out of Al Pacino in this movie for some reason. Uh, yeah. It's hard not to think of Carlito's Way as a spiritual sequel to Scarface. Uh, I know that at the end of Scarface, our hero, in quotation marks, is killed several times over. But if you imagine an alternative ending where, I don't know, he turns state's evidence or he gets arrested for something petty. And Carlito's way is like 15 years later when he's released from prison and he legit tries to go clean. Because uh, that's basically the story. A, a, a gangster is released from prison and he wants to... Put that mm-hmm. part of his life behind him. If possible, reignite the flames with the old girlfriend and go into business running a club legitimately. Well, that's not his aim. Well, but... It's a way to get some money. It's a way to, it's a way time, to subsist yeah. in an honest way. But because of who he is and because of who he associates with, of course, this is impossible. And he is going to be dragged kicking and screaming back into this violent underworld. Mm-hmm. Such is the story told to us in Carlito's way. It's... Greatest weakness is the familiarity of the story and the structure. Its greatest strength is its execution, in my humble opinion. Yeah. I don't want to speak for yeah. both of us. Um, so, I guess what it comes down to is uh, how well is it aged? I mean, for some reason, it doesn't seem to carry the same amount of respect as Scarface. Which is itself another remake, which apparently is going to be remade yet again. Oh, I heard about that, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, in the interest of airing an unpopular opinion, I won't say that Carlita's Way is a maybe a better movie than Scarface, but I might argue that it's aging better than Scarface. I'm with you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. That's where I start with this. Um, I like Brian De Palma as a technical filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always about the bravura sequences. I believe that he will Something. say yes to a movie because there's a specific sequence in it that he thinks, yeah, I can make that work. And that's what you'll run into with the Palma is that sometimes he'll make great movies, 
or sometimes he'll make bad movies with at least one or two amazing scenes in it. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, I think this leans more towards the great, but it does have some cliches in it. It, it does have some of these sort of time-honored stamp things that like, this is what you do in this type of gangster movie, the redemption story, the guy who was bad but wants to be good but can't, right? Uh, it's kind of unfair to take all these points away just because it's familiar, but when we were talking about Chinatown, everything about that story was familiar until they pulled the rug out, mm -hmm. right? Carlito's Way, everything about the story is familiar, but at no point, for me anyway, is a rug pulled out. It's just a very well-made crime. There's a thriller. couple things. There's a couple moments. Maybe it's not quite as big right. um, as, as the reveal in, in Chinatown. Uh, okay, two more stories about... Uh, this one I, I rented. I didn't get to see in the theater. I was desperate to see Carlito's <laughs> Way in the theater. It, it, did, it just didn't work out for me. Um, I saw Scarface uh, when I was probably too young to see Scarface, but there was this wonderful place uh, in, in Lakeview in Saskatoon called Captain Video. Oh, yes. And I rented a lot of movies there because it was within walking distance of my house. And and I picked up Scarface, um, and somebody said that, oh, if, if you like Pacino, you have to see Scarface. And and I went up, and the owner was a pretty relaxed guy. Yeah. He said, you know, this is kind of, there's some tough stuff in here. I don't know if you should be renting this. I said, oh, no, it's fine. It's okay, whatever. And he rented it to me, and, and, yeah, and I watched it. And, but I remember thinking at the time, this this looks a little bit old. It looks, you know, it looks a little bit dated, mm -hmm. even when I was watching it. Um, there's some cool stuff in it, but it's, you know, it, and, and so it, and then Carlito's Way came out and it looked like a sharp, current uh, film, again, reuniting Pacino and De Palma. And um, I thought, oh, okay, well, this is going to be, between the two, Carlito's Way is the one that's going to have the legacy. But like a lot of movies, they're, I first experienced them and they're kind of from the 90s and I thought they looked so-so. Scarface has has the legacy in Carlito's way does not. Which is strange. It right? is strange because it, it this is another one where it's it, it is so it's so well executed. Um, Brian De Palma, I watched a documentary on him uh, that came out last year, and he talked about all of his films. He he's very very blunt. I mean, he bashes people like left, right, center in this right. in this movie, um, and 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 he talked about. He's pretty much quit making movies because you look at everybody's work. He said they do their best work in uh, their 30s, 40s, and 50s. He's no longer in that age bracket, so he doesn't think he can make a movie that right. good anymore. And when he goes through all the movies, Carlito's Way, he said at the end of making that, he said, I can't make a better movie than Carlito's Way. And it wasn't all that successful. I didn't recognize that at all because I. It, I remember it was critically, it was, but I mean, I wasn't paying as close attention. I, I was paying attention to how the critics viewed it, and I think the critics were favorable. They were, in particular, Sean Penn got a lot of uh, acclaim for his performance mm -hmm. playing uh, lawyer, Pacino's Shelley. lawyer. Um, and it's a totally different film from Scarface. Like Tony Montana is a is an absolute monster. Mm -hmm. uh, Carlito Bragante is not a monster. Not and anymore. he's got a he's got such a strict code. He's got a, a stricter moral code than most so-called decent citizens 
the world. Yeah. And he wasn't going to rat on anybody. And he's loyal to, uh, to, to anybody who's, who's helped him out in the past, including this lawyer. So of the people in his life, on the surface... He's the most honest criminal? He, he is the most moral character. Him and, and his girlfriend, played by Penelope Ann Miller, uh, she knows what's going on more than he does. He's blinded by this allegiance to these people. But it's, it's the lawyer who su- supposedly, as far as the jobs and the history, he's the most legit person. He's the problem. Yeah. For, he's the corrupt, for Carlito. He's the corrupting influence. And, and so there's some stuff, like you, you kind of see this guy, and he's kind of a sleazy lawyer. I mean, he's he's going to have these, you know, mafioso, his gangster clients, and get them off and on technicalities and that kind of thing. Um, and he likes to party, but uh, in the movies, it's set in the 70s, I believe, and so the cocaine starts happening. You see, well, this guy's coming unglued, and there's some... There, there's some stuff there, but what you you really underestimate that character, and that's where I got a little bit surprised in here. But there's all this stuff that happens because very first scene, you're right. We 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 see uh, Pacino's Pacino. character on a gurney. Hit on a gurney, it looks like he he's gonna die, and the experience of trying to get to that point uh, again, the payoff is so worth it. Um, and there is a chase sequence here, which is so amazing and which is typical of Brian De Palma. But there's all these other scenes where you have these characters talking and it's very much, you feel like you're in that world because just like we're having a conversation right now, but De Palma will give a slight hint as to something's not quite right here. Yeah. And, and there'll be just like a little piece of music, like to Paul Mike again it's 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 less obvious than with Scorsese and some of the and Tarantino and some of the others he uses music very well he also uses the camera so he tilts the camera if just something's not right and we're just sort of seeing something something is going to happen here it's like these old friends have shown up out of nowhere well this is not right so watching how we get to that point and, and the whole time you you're still cheering that like it's going to work out for Carlito that he's going to get through this and you think it's going to be because of this thing or this thing or this thing yeah. and it just shows how difficult it is for him to get out of this world and his weaknesses are his, his loyalty um, his, to his, the lawyer and there's another another there's another character to who uh, very much betrays him yeah. his and, strengths are his weaknesses <coughs> like I get yeah. what you're saying there for me, I, I get that. I get what you're saying, and I think that it's well enough handled. But for me, I just follow it back on the set pieces. For me, when I think about Carlito's way, it's a shootout in a pool room. It's oh, that's that so, <laughs> it's so good. It, the, the sequence, like you were saying, when he's running to catch the train, but the gangsters are staking out the, the station. So he has to, like, at first he's trying to play this elaborate game of hide-and-seek, and then it becomes a very public run-and-gun run fight. And it's amazing. It's amazingly handled. Oh. I would say that it was the best handled gunfight of this series of movies, but we haven't talked about heat yet. The problem, <laughs> like, uh, that, that is really it for the movie. You talk about Penelope Ann Miller, who's an actress that I've always really mm-hmm. liked. Heartbreaking for me in this movie. Because a, she's got... That's her best performance, I think. You think? I think, I don't know. I mean, she's a good you're, performance. You're heartbroken about her character or performance? or Well, because it was... Penelope Ann, she's always been a peripheral actor. She's done most of her greatest success on the stage, which mm-hmm. I respect. Yeah. 
and she's done some high-profile movies, but she's just an actress that I've always thought should have been bigger than she was, right? Agreed, yeah. And she's the girl character in this movie, and she is, you know, this ideal. She's a goal. She's an award. She's a prize for Carly to change, to, to claim if he managed to change his life. It's the only movie, as far as I know, where she's ever done any nudity, mm-hmm. and she looks visibly uncomfortable while she's doing it. Might have to rewatch. There's uh, to, to, she's just dancing, to see if she's dancing on the table. To me, she looks uncomfortable. Maybe I'm putting that on her. And there's one scene. The character's that I, uncomfortable though. Yeah. Well, she doesn't. Like, maybe she doesn't, she, especially when she sees that he's there. Carlito because she's been lying about that she has this great Broadway. Like, I can buy that. It also falls into this thing, and again, it's me personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I women who are attracted to dangerous men. The whole sequence where she's whispering to him through the door that if she wants, to, if he wants to get to her, mm-hmm. he's gonna have to chase her down, mm-hmm. get her naked, kick down the door, sort of bordering on rape fantasy thing <laughs> that she's got going mm-hmm. on. As much as she knows that this guy's terrible and dangerous, that's why she's so attracted to him. I don't know. I kind of wanted more for her character to be more interesting than she was. She was the girl in a movie full of interesting men. And uh, because I like her so much, I wanted it to be more than it I, was. I think because it's, it's less flashy, it's the least flash, flashy role in the, in the film, I think there's a lot more going on. Because I, I, was, I, I was wanting to, again, watch this with kind of new eyes. And I, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, we're... We're dealing here with Faye Dunaway and Sharon Stone, and I think you know those performances are uh, have a lot more to them, more levels than, than her character is. But it, it it was to me, it's it's so crucial that for whatever reason, this this code of conduct that Carlito has, he's not willing to listen to this woman when she is right about everything. Like she, she is the one who knows that. That the lawyer is it's bad for him, and 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 he's he's better to go. He'd be better to go to the FBI. They can they can still achieve their dream if they do that, or go now. You don't have to go back and do this. Like like is she an innocent character? Is she an innocent? Would you describe character? her as an innocent character, at least by contrast to everyone else? Well, she knows what he. What he's about, I, and I think she 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 was a, a as a younger woman, which we don't see, attracted to the gangster tough guy thing. She still is, but, but yes, but she's attracted to him now. But he he has he has changed. He's trying. I don't to think she would have like the first scene. There's there's this hesitation. I don't think that she would have actually invited that that moment if she didn't think he had. Changed. I'm not sure she was still interested way? in, or else there would be a, a whole series of other. Um, it's the worst line in the movie, but when she says, You're going to have to kick the door in, because if you don't get in, you don't get in. Mm-hmm. Unless you commit a violent act, you don't get to have sex with me. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 is, I don't think she's an innocent she character, but she's. Attracted but, to violence. But she is the character that he, he should be. He pursues her um, just. Because he's lonely or whatever, but but she's the character who he can most trust, and he doesn't listen to her, and that's why what happens to him happens. Right. He also does something. This is another thing which I think is so clever about this film, and so when you say it's kind of there isn't anything that's 
pulls the rug out. Yeah, there is, uh, and I don't really want to ruin it because I think probably of the movies we've watched, the least number of people will have seen this movie, um, possibly, uh, that are maybe Chinatown. But there's something Carlito does which guarantees that this situation happens to him and involves his lawyer late in the film. If he hadn't have done something which again is connected to the opposite side of his his, his loyalty, code of conduct his, his, his loyalty, loyalty because yeah. he recognizes it's hard to talk about people. it without talking about it Jason because right now we just spent two minutes talking about nothing but uh, he feels that he owes his life to Shelly mm-hmm. and because he owes his life to Shelly Shelly's one of the boys right mm-hmm. yeah he treats him the same way he would treat a fellow gangster even though Shelly's not really a gangster he pretends to be but Shelley doesn't play by the same rules. No. So when the worm finally turns, and it takes a long time for the worm to turn, uh, I believe Shelley gives the line to him, fuck you and your self-righteous code of the goddamn street. That's what it took. Him saying that. That's what it that's took what for Carlito to, to say, okay, yeah. you're not loyal to me. I will no longer be loyal mm-hmm. to you. And surprise, surprise, things don't go well for Shelley almost immediately after that, mm-hmm. right? Which life would might have been easier for Carlito if he had yeah if he realized that and he didn't have to go back to but again the hospital too it's the structure of the movie right it's the structure of the movie but at least it has Carlito's the the only one who has a code of conduct I mean that's a point like we we have the DA the DA is sleazy in his own way I mean he records these conversations uh, with Sean Penn Sean Penn's character is very disloyal. And so the old people who remember Carlito, they know him as a name, these younger guys, but the younger guys don't have the, this, this, this code of conduct that Carlito has. Nobody, nobody does the the new generation, but members of his generation don't either. They've succumbed to the younger generation. Going back to the country for old men, every generation thinks that of the next. Yeah. It's never been this bad. This is as worst as it's ever been or will ever be. And then the next generation comes along, right? Mm-hmm. Again, there's nothing not familiar about this this movie. Uh, I admire it for its execution and for the strength of its convictions because this is the type of movie we're going to make and we're going to make it as good as we possibly can. It's not like they started us out in that glowing hallway and then at the end of the movie, instead of laying on a gurney, he was actually really in an airplane flying to Hawaii with his girlfriend Yeah. because that would be a lie and a compromise. A little bit of a shot about another film, huh? But <laughs> Is there anything it, else it, you want to say about? It's Premier? not a perfect film. Um, I, I do wish there were more movies kind of like it. Right. Uh, uh, one example is because I, I, as I've said, I love Pacino. All right, but he he starts the film with a Puerto Rican accent, and the Puerto Rican accent disappears so after a while, and it's it's more Pacino's voice. Uh, he went full hog for the Cuban character Tony Montana and Scarface, but it was it was a cartoonish role. Like nobody who's actually Cuban speaks that way. To this character didn't have that kind of license to be. I to think be consequently, that that's one of the things that helps it to age better. Plus, you know, the Maybe. saxophones, the '80s smoke-filled rooms, the aesthetic yeah. feels more modern. The music, the music as well. There's even though because they set this in the '70s, they could get away with disco music in uh, Carlito's way, and it. It didn't detract as much as the kind of the early '80s stuff. There's less than ten years between the films, but it feels like twenty for some reason. It, it does. It's just, it's a much sharper film, I think. I, yeah, if, 
if a gun was to my head, I would pick Carlito's way. Well, it isn't, but I'm glad you said that. He's here. I can feel it. You search for the scent of your prey, and then you hunt them down. That's the only thing you're committed to. That keeps me sharp, on the edge, where I gotta be. be making moves on the street allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner well, my life's a disaster zone because i spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block i do what i do best i take scores you do what you do best trying to stop guys like me you've been walking through our life dead all i am is what i'm going after from the Godfather to scent of a woman. What do we got? From Raging Bull to Goodfellas. Assume they got our phones, assume they got our houses, assume they got us. Their performances have created a legacy of landmark films. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours, round the clock. We never close open seven days a week. Now, for the first time, America's two most electrifying actors collide. <laughs> This guy, there's more cheap you should pass. The bank is worth the risk. You should take it down. 12.2 million. You're up. This crew is good. <laughs> it ain't worth the risks you take. Like in risk versus reward, baby. You're a fugitive number one with a bullet. I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. If I'm there and I gotta put you away, I won't like it. But I'll tell you, you are going down. What if you do got me boxed in? I gotta put you down, because no matter what, you will not get in my way. I will not hesitate for a second. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to rush you. Do you need a breather? You're okay? No, I'm fine. Michael Mann. Heat. Um, unpopular opinion? Michael Mann has not been doing so great last little while. Time was, I mean, still on the director masterclass list, mm -hmm. that there was a time where I, I would be very, very excited about the next Michael Mann joint. Yeah. I think his last of the Mohicans is just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I really, really like that movie. Underrated film. I think The Insider is a really, really good procedural journalistic, you know, piece of filmmaking mm -hmm. that's until Spotlight, you know, there hasn't really been something like that even that's tackled, true. Yeah. you yeah. know. And so, like, I really, really like it. He comes out with heat, and there's this is in the middle of his hot streaks, right? Like, now is the time we're gonna get excited. We got Al Pacino, we got Robert De Niro, and it's this three-hour crime epic. We're gonna get into the criminals' world. We're gonna get into the cops' world. We're gonna get into their heads in that classic. There are two sides of the same coin, right? Mm -hmm. As you've seen in every cop movie ever. But we're gonna give it full Hollywood prestige treatment, and we're gonna let Michael Mann do his thing. Michael Mann has proven himself again and again to be a very proficient filmmaker, and he has a way of shooting action scenes that feel incredibly real. Yeah. So I'm excited. I remember seeing Heat in theater. I remember like being energized to see it, and I remember sitting and watching the movie and thinking, "This movie is fantastic." And yet I wish it was 40 minutes shorter. 
Oh, really? Now, uh, that was my initial impression okay. of the movie. Now, now fast forward, this, this was 20 years ago, okay? I still stand by my sort of treatment that I am less interested in the characters' home lives, generally speaking. I don't give a fuck about Diane Venora and Al Pacino's dying marriage. I'm sorry, I don't care. I understand the importance of the Amy Brenneman character. Robert De Niro mm -hmm. has a girlfriend, and she sort of represents, you know, both everything that he wants and everything that he's had to sacrifice in order to maintain his lifestyle. So I understand that they're important symbolically because both of them are destroying their own relationships just by the nature of being who they are. They can't be these driven, focused, super people. Or, well, yeah, one's a criminal, one's a cop, but they're both sort super of... Super what they the, do. They're the top of their game for yeah. what they do. But in order to be at the top of their game, there's sacrifices to the left and right. I understand what they're going for. I understand the role it plays in the movie. It is nowhere near as interesting to me as the interactions of the criminals, how they do their crimes, how they get away from the crimes, how when they find out that the police are on them, they actually have a way of spotting the police so that they can ID the guys that are hunting them. The, how the police go about doing the investigation. As, as a procedural and as an action movie, it is absolutely enthralling. As a human drama, it comes close to failure. Here's the most controversial thing I'm gonna say because I can tell you're already mad at me. Here's the thing. Natalie Portman, as a young actress, gave some of the best performances of her oh, career. Oh, so good, yeah. And she's an amazing actress to this day. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm not talking shit about Natalie Portman. Mm -hmm. But I think you could cut her character out of this movie. I think you could cut her character entirely out of this movie, up to and including her suicide attempt. No. It would take no emotional impact out of that movie. It would take nothing away from the end of the movie. At the end of the day, with all of the superfluous, all the other characters going on, all these great performances, all of these awesome character actors, Ted Levine, Wes Studi, Tom Sizemore, Micheletti Williamson, like all of these amazing guys, the movie is about Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and this collision that they're on. That's what the movie was. And I think that if they'd have streamlined it and made it about that, it would be an amazing movie instead of just a really good one. I, I just really could... I, I didn't know this would be the one we'd be <laughs> this is the one disagreeing this much on. The table. But you wow. Full of shit. You sound like the guy who was pitching the film to the studio. We're finally going to do it. We're going to have uh, De Niro and Pacino and Cop and Robert this film together. It's going to be great. What I thought was, and I think that's why some people maybe didn't give it when it came out the attention it, it deserved. It had zero Academy Award nominations. Uh, and the screenplay is is absolutely amazing uh is they were expecting the the movie to be pacino de niro pacino de niro it's but it's about the lives around them and that's and that's what i really like about it and you know uh, i i i think i'm trying to remember if it was kind of beautiful girls or heat which one i saw first where i was like no, this this Natalie Portman is. It was the professional. Well, I, I like the professional, but I, I, and you know, for a lot of people, that was it was the professional that that won them over. I it took me a few more films because I wanted to see some other stuff that, mm -hmm. that she did, but I I was totally sold on her 
after this film she steals at her age she steals um moments in this film from people who were at the top of their game in 1995 when this came out and uh to have her entire performance cut out of the film would be a travesty Uh, i loved everything now i what would you have lost like i I wouldn't have cut anything out of this film but i would have added probably Imagine a world where Natalie Portman's character is not in there. Everything else is. Ashley Judd's still in there. Diane mm-hmm. Nora's still in there. Mm-hmm. Amy Brenneman's still in there. Yeah. I, I love all those scenes. Imagine that same movie, but Natalie Portman's character's not there. The daughter's not an issue. What will it change to the movie? To the main it plot? Would mean that it would mean Natalie Portman it, was not in the movie. Natalie Portman, the daughter's not in there. But there's a very important reason that all of these characters are in there. If you look at the theme of the film. It's heat. When the heat is on, you have to be willing to leave in 30 seconds or less. So it doesn't matter what situation it is. And, 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 and the whole fight between the Pacino-De Niro characters, De Niro, every, everybody who's willing to listen to him, hears him spout this, this philosophy, oh, you shouldn't have a family, you shouldn't have all this stuff. He doesn't even I, have furniture. I don't have furniture. I'm going to take off if I feel the heat at any point. Um, yes. Pacino doesn't say any of that stuff. But he does it. Yeah. It doesn't matter if his stepdaughter has has committed suicide. He's anxious. He's going out there to get this guy. Yeah. He leaves the hospital. I agree. He leaves three wives. All of that is is, is so important to see the contrast between these two guys. One guy says it, but doesn't do it. The yes. other guy does. Yes. And yes. I, I need all of that Jason. in there. Jason. And I, I want them to have lives. I don't want them to be just the cop and the robber. Can I respond? That yeah. is all true. What mm-hmm. you're saying is true. None of that has anything to do with Natalie Portman. The wives, yes. Amy Brenneman, yes. But you Diane. set up this high-level situation when he he yeah. finds this girl in, and he's so removed. He's, he's never so at home. Mad. But who is who is she going? She goes to his hotel to kill herself because he is in all of this the most responsible adult in her life. Yet. In a moment's notice, he's going to also leave her. It's that's how disciplined this guy is. Okay, I right? and that's how in love with being a cop he is. And I, I just would not be interested because there was a kind of movie like this. They they they, they were in this movie called Righteous Kill, oh, which was awful. And 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 you're movie. describing that movie. No, I'm that's not. what this would have been. Other than the, the difference being that Michael Mann would have written and directed this, and and so he would have made something good out of. Uh, a standard crime film that you're that you're pitching to me right here. I love how I, it's an epic are, film. Jason. It's an epic film like The Godfather or any of these, and it's and people don't want they want it to be a smaller film than it actually is. He doesn't make Can small I, films. Okay, I'm gonna try and respond now. Okay, Here, here's the thing. Don't belittle me by by, by comparing my 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 review of this to Righteous Kill like that. That's dismissive, and I don't think that that's what I'm saying, right? I'm not okay, saying yeah, that, I'm just using I'm as an example. That you want to use, you want to turn heat into righteous kill. That would be folly. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, what is heat about? And it's much more about what you were talking about—the fact that they will turn their back on anything else mm-hmm. in favor of their drive, be it being a criminal or being a cop, and that it destroys any relationship to the life to the left or right. Mm-hmm. Granted. And uh, with the yin and yang of Diane Venora and Amy Brenneman, I still would have cut those scenes back. I think that Diane Venora has an embarrassingly bad speech in that movie. But, uh, Is it the one? Yes, I understand oh. what, why they, they, there's the yin and yang of those two characters. 
Natalie Portman is piling on. She tries to commit suicide, and yes, she goes to his apartment, which implies one of two things. Either she loved him and wanted to do it there for whatever reason, or she wanted to do it there as a punishment because he's never around, he's neglected, and this is what you've led to. Well, I didn't, we I don't know. We don't know what it is. He, we're as surprised as anyone else when he walks in that room and there she is. He's neglecting his wife. His wife is so obsessed with the falling marriage that she's neglecting her doctor, daughter. No one's paying attention to the daughter. We have no idea. That yeah, this, this is, is this other stepfather. But honestly, thematically, completely separate from everything else in the movie. And because of that, yes, Jason, I do believe you could remove it entirely and you wouldn't notice it was missing. If you didn't know those scenes had been shot and they removed them from the movie, you wouldn't feel them. The only scene is because it's an excuse for him and Diane Venora to be sitting in the same room together in the hospital, in the emergency mm -hmm. room. And in that scene, he's trying to be there for her, but you can tell his phone is buzzing mm -hmm. and he still wants to get the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. So that scene doesn't accomplish anything different than any other scene did. And you've got this movie where there's, again, we haven't talked about Ashley Judd or Val Kilmer or Tom Sizemore mm -hmm. or, or all of these other characters that, that are actively about trying to find these armed robbers, these very skilled professional heroes. And those are the sequences that are exciting and that work. Oh, there. Yeah. And that driving collision between De Niro and, and Pacino. And sometimes they're telling stories that feed into that and sometimes they get distracted. Portman's a distraction. I think the amount of time they spend on Ashley Judd's character is a distraction. I think the amount of time even, and I love it, it's well handled. The driver that they hire last minute to replace them. Uh, the oh, big yeah. gunfight gun scene. Mm -hmm. They try and make a big movement out of him. You know, mm -hmm. We know the role of this driver. We know his tragic history and we know where it's going to end up, right? The movie is about De Niro and Pacino. And whenever it forgets that, I think it gets a little shaky. Now, I wasn't trying to say this is a bad movie. Like, you reacted very passionately to Well, it. I'm surprised and this is the one that I'm getting yeah. this riled up about. But here's it's... the thing. Like, the central shootout in this movie is the best shootout I've ever seen. As far as I'm concerned, it was stolen wholesale for the opening of The Dark Knight. Like, the, oh, yeah. the Joker bank robbing scene yeah. at the beginning of The Dark Knight. There's I a similar feel. to you yeah. that somebody was studying heat when yeah, they shot Yeah, it's so that. similar. Uh, I guarantee you. And uh, that's in the movies alive and well for me. Uh, the fact people complain that they only had two scenes together, I thought that actually built it. We spent so much time with one and then the other, one and then the other. The fact that they only have those two scenes together mm -hmm. make them have this real weight to it. Something that Righteous Kill forgot. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh, that's what we want to see. And then we'll all of a sudden, instead of seeing that, we're going to see a scene where Diane Venora is this long, slow, tearful speech that is so fully written. You spend your life sifting through the detritus of other people's lives. <laughs> and uh, the it's movie... A, it's a poetic touch. And, and I'm not sure... grinds to a stop for I that scene. I think so, because we go straight to the scene where... Uh, this Wayne Rowe guys killed a prostitute in a really vicious way, and and we have these moments where where the mother comes running in, and Pacino has to stop the mother from finding the the body. The, the body. I mean, I I didn't. I've never seen thought the film 
like stops at that particular moment. But again, th that's him doing his job. That's him on the scene. Wayne Grove is connected, even though he doesn't know it at the time, is connected to the crew he's looking for. Because yeah. on top of being mixed up with these these heist guys, he's a serial killer in his yeah. spare time. Yeah. It's connected. It fits with what's going on. And they need to make Wayne Grove a suitable enemy mm -hmm. because we're dealing with shades of gray. These are bad dudes and badder dudes. So I understand that. Uh, it's where it thrives, where it just is amazing to me is just the style. Uh, I love the soundtrack. I love when he does pull over De Niro finally to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. He's been following De Niro for weeks. De Niro knows he's been following him for weeks. Yeah. He knows who De Niro is. De Niro knows who he is. So yeah. why, why not? Why not sit down and have a conversation? Sure. Yeah. Like, we're, we're just pretending. And I really like, like that they can't reveal too much, obviously. They both mm -hmm. have their own and they just have this conversation. And that it is mutual respect. It's not love, it's not friendship. It's respect. In these ways, the, movies, the movie really works. And it's understated. It's yeah. not a big, flashy thing. Uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the okay, De Niro versus Pacino Style. thing. Yeah. And what was strange to me, and I, I still go with this, but some people had to sort of talk me down from this. When I, being more of a Pacino fan in the middle of the 1990s, for whatever reason, I much preferred De Niro's performance in this film. You still feel um, that way, or has that changed? Uh, I still feel that De Niro's better than Pacino in the film. It might be a better um, role. It uh, might be the better of the two it, roles. It probably is. And the, the scenes, which I'm not sure you like, some of the scenes with Amy Brenneman, that's probably, like, De Niro is not really a romantic lead. No. And in the middle of this crime film, that's, that's like the most realistic kind of romantic relationship. That's where I believed this woman would fall for this guy and they both are kind of lonely and uh, and he's kind of a jerk to her at first and I, and I just I, I liked all of that those notes plus the how professional he is in carrying out his business um, I, I, I Pacino I thought you know I like when he goes big I like some there's some unpopular performances where he's big which I, I I'll go along with but here there were moments where I I just didn't think he would be that over the top, right. um, but then watching it again, I mean, I, I I I see that there's a lot more in there. There, it is, it is a it is still a solid performance. I I like him a little bit more in in Carlito's way, and you know, a bit in the Godfather films. I mean, of of the three we've talked about, probably my favorite of his. Performances probably the most powerful is The Godfather, but I I think Carlito's Way is is, is his best work as far as oh, wow. Pacino being Pacino. Maybe not the best film of the three, but as far as his performance goes, it, I, I, it, he would for be me, the third for me. As I've already said, I think that De Niro outacts him in this movie. I also think he's got a more interesting part in that way. But I also think that the screenplay lets the the Pacino character down a little bit. Um, I'm going to go spoilers. To the end of the movie, okay. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, De Niro gets shot. Big ending shot. Al Pacino holds his hand, and basically, as the rest of the backup is coming to arrive, he stands by and dies, holds his hand while he dies, basically, yeah. uh, comforts him or is just a presence for him as he dies. And in that scene, I like and feel like. De Niro is the more heroic of the two characters. When he walks away from Amy Brenneman 
at the airport or at the uh, sorry at the hotel. Hotel. Yeah. At that point, whether he realizes it or not, he might as well have put the gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure the movie. I've debated this with people, but movie language. He does try to shoot the Al Pacino character, but he waits for the lights to go on to give him move. Mm-hmm. Why does he wait for the lights to go on? For a clearance of shot? No, he has a clear level of shot. It gives Pacino a microsecond chance mm-hmm. to react. Mm-hmm. If he'd not waited till the lights went on, his shadow wouldn't have been cast, and De Niro couldn't have spun, or Pacino couldn't have spun. Yeah. That ending, it, it read like suicide by cop to me almost. Like, it's sticky, I mean, people could debate it, but he realized that he'd made the wrong choice, and if he just went on to reinvent himself and go on to the next heist, like, it was empty, you know? Half his crew was dead, and... Uh, he's now given up the woman and now he's given he up loves what he had left. In, in this dream of going to Fiji. And, uh, Similar does, to Carlito Brigante. And yeah. what does Pacino have as he's standing there? His wife who is currently sitting at a hospital trying to wait to see, you know, what the state of her teenage daughter is who just slashed her wrists, asked him, in the hospital, is there any chance for us? What does he say? I don't think so. I don't think so. But to Pacino, that's not putting a gun in his mouth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In a way... De Niro becomes the stronger character <laughs> for me by that ending. And again, you want him to get away. Val Kilmer gets away, and that's interesting, not only because, you know, he is one of the guys that I just was expecting to go. Yeah. <laughs> you, like, because he's flawed and he's like the right arm of De Niro's character. He's important to the group you expect mm-hmm. him to go. Uh, the fact that he doesn't is kind of an interesting subversion. And not only doesn't he, but he murders one of our main characters. During the shootout, he kills the Ted Levine character. So you're sort of waiting for this reciprocity, for this vengeance to take place. It doesn't. But you know why it doesn't happen? It's because he follows follows De Niro's advice. He drives away. 30 seconds, same with Ashley Judd's character. But Ashley Judd gives him permission, and that's the difference. Right? But he owes. I mean... But she gives him the signal. The cops are here. And she knows mm-hmm. what that But she's means. willing to give it up. He's willing to give it up. De Niro was not willing to give it up. Yeah. He, he hesitated. And so it, 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 that, that part's really interesting to me. So, so anyway, please be less angry with me. Like, I do really like yeah. this movie. Well, I didn't mean to dis- say <laughs> that you were trying to pitch Righteous Kill to me <laughs> no. here because it's an awful movie. And but, I, but I get I, what they were trying I, to do. I, I think they were trying to give three dimensions to... The, the female characters in here where they would normally be given like oh that's the wife or the angry ex-wife or yeah but helpless girlfriend or something like that there's a lot more of those characters because you ha- are given that extra 40 minutes or whatever I understand you, you want to give more voice to female characters especially in movies like these they don't get it well, I, mean, I like but to see the whole world that these characters are there's in. a reason for that and uh, in, in which case, I would be tempted to make a couple more of the cops women or a couple more of the Robert's yes. women, you know, because they're still playing the chick roles. They're still the sideline characters, the beleaguered wife waiting at home or, or, or the ditched girlfriend who, you know, is a symbol, a reward, a thing that they aspire to, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not almost even a real character. Uh, if you want to impress me and say we're going to make some strong female characters in the movie then put them make the main characters 
And, and it could be that Michael Mann didn't feel comfortable doing that at that um, particular time. I, I don't know. That's fine. It, it's just have a reason for doing it. It's, it's the Star Trek thing. It's like uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna cast the new crew of the Star Trek, so we're gonna need a, an Asian character. We're gonna need a, I don't know a, a black character. We're gonna need a gay character. We want to make sure that we represent all of these different mm. things. Is that serving the story? Like. Are they there because it helps the story, or are they there because you've just decided to include them, right? Well, he, kind of, he kind of does that without drawing attention to it. A, use these characters, but use them not just for the sake of using them. Use them in the plot. Use them as characters in the story. Mm-hmm. Don't have a gay character say, hello, okay. I'm the gay character, and then move on with the rest of your movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's all. Let's, and I don't think see. Man did that. Uh, well, I think that Man did the opposite of that. Instead mm-hmm. of just having the one scene where, like... I'm the beleaguered wife. We had ten of them. Yeah. And it weighed, ended up weighing. And it, down did, the movie. it didn't bother me. It bothered you. So that's fair, fair enough. enough. I'm gonna stop it there. Uh, we agree that heat is good, but we agree um, differently. <laughs> movies I found the rank to be fairly difficult mm. I again much like in the sci-fi director masterclass I feel like I come off a lot more picky or pretentious or like much more like a critic when I talk about these movies simply because if you're Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. you know if you're Michael Mann Jerome Polanski I'm gonna expect you to bring something to the to the table you know if it's some scrappy, no-budget horror movie made by a bunch of friends over weekends, I'm gonna give you all the rope that you need. But if you're this pedigreed Hollywood filmmaker mm. and you have all the toys and all the tools in the box to work with, that's when I, I'm not saying any of these are bad movies. In fact, I will go on record as saying that they're all very good movies. Yeah. But I had to put them from six to one, so please, don't get too mad at me, Jake. <laughs> We're well, going to friends here today, I, damn it. <laughs> I was really surprised because I, I thought I would be the one who would be harder on heat. Yeah. I, I thought you would be on me about being too critical, but somehow, I, and maybe I was over-caffeinated as well. Which, <laughs> you just love Natalie Portman. <laughs> well, there's that too, but yeah. The cutting Natalie Portman seemed just so... Oh, I just love that, oh, yeah. I love that character. I don't know, I, I like the small things and... And I don't, as I said, I don't mind a movie that's more than three hours. Right. Um, other people don't really go for that. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, Here's my list. Now, what All is right. your least favorite of these okay. masterclass yeah. movies? And any one of these would be number one on a normal show, but uh, number six is Brian De Palma's uh, Carlito's Way. Okay. Uh, I think it has, uh, it's beautifully directed, probably script-wise, it has the most problems of, of the six for me. Number five... <laughs> 
As much as I put so much energy into fighting you on this one, number five is Michael Mann's Heat. There you go. Um, because, uh, uh, again, I I appreciate it. I love the screenplay. Technically, it's it's well done. But it isn't one of those ones where I'm thinking to myself, okay, I will... I will actually go to the ends of the earth for this film. Right. I like watching it every few years or so. Yeah. For me, number four is Martin Scorsese's Casino. It's not as good as Goodfellas, but with a lot of the movies we're talking about, we were referring to films that happened before. Just standalone, I still think it's a terrific film. I can't help but wonder how we would feel about Casino if Goodfellas didn't exist. It probably like, would have been up for Best Picture, Best... Uh, it's an unfair director to put on the movie, but I can't not put it there. And I think ev- pretty much everybody did. The only the only thing that happened was uh, the character who was sort of, but nothing really like the L- Lorraine Bracco character. The Sharon Stone character had much more screen time, much more to do. It it, it might be one of the the better female characters that's Scors- that's been in a Scorsese film. Refreshingly um, unsympathetic. Yeah. Usually the women are sort of like these sort of beaten, forgotten housewife characters who have a scene where they cry and a scene where they complain to their husband about not being around for the kids and then they either end up getting killed off or turning state's evidence, right? They're just, there's this very, very limited mm-hmm. trajectory for them. And we hadn't seen that Sharon Stone character before. No. you got to give them points for that. And I think some of your comments about Penelope Ann Miller's character in Carlito's way in comparison to Sharon Stone's. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I've thought about that. I still like that performance, but she wasn't given as much to do as Sharon Stone was. She's a much more likable character, but a, in a way, a less real one to me. She just was mm-hmm. there in service of the story. I suppose so, yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then um, now th- Then we're talking about the, the, the three, <laughs> the top three, and to me, that this is where kind of there was a, a line here, and these three are, are great films. Right. Will always be great films. If we were doing this podcast in 50 years... Um, We'd still be talking about them, at least I certainly hope. Um, for me, number three is the film that won Best Picture in 1974, The Godfather Part Two, which is uh, a worthy sequel. I don't think it's as good as The Godfather, but it, it's still there's something every time I watch it that, that gets to me. And in, in this case, it was kind of a, a sentimental thing there about the, the two brothers and how that relationship had broken and gone to this point and it was probably the one member of the family that all along would have supported Michael and Michael's just too blind to see it so it's, it's very tragic and I like depressing I like tragic when we get to the point where he's willing to pull that trigger it's not just that he's willing to do with it it's that he's okay with it it's that he won't lose sleep over it no. it's that you know he is completely lost whatever that was mm-hmm. that he once had let's say nobility <laughs> well his biggest fear is is losing his family yeah. you know, through the entire film and by doing that he's lost his family self-destruct yeah, yeah. unlike his father who built a family uh, then for me the film that should have won best picture in 1974 because they came out the same year Roman Polanski's Chinatown is my number two um, I never get tired of watching this film I I, 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 I long for you know or I remember fondly the first time watching it and not knowing where this movie was going despite all of the uh, conventions that you would get in a film noir or a detective story. Um, and the payoff is amazing. The performances are solid. It's one of Nicholson's best uh, performances. Um, and it was the best of 1970s cinema. And um, 
no matter what you think of Roman Polanski, he made a great, great, great film there. And then number one, and anybody who knows me would have predicted it, it'd be number one is Pulp Fiction, Quentin Tarantino's movie. Uh, It's, to me, the most influential movie in my lifetime. It's my second favorite movie of all time. I I, I said it's... JFK is your first, you said? JFK is my first, yeah. Um, uh, And I, I just think it's a perfect screenplay from Quentin Tarantino. He's evolved a bit more as a director, but... Watching it, and every time there's those retro film festivals, um, the Galaxy or something like that, I will see Pulp Fiction again, and I find something brand new in it. And there's so much clever stuff that I think just initially watching it in the mid-90s, I did not realize about what Tarantino was doing as a director. As, as I was so caught up in how good the writing is and how wonderful the performances were that his directing kind of got forgotten about in that mix. And right. he's... Even at that young age, he was an exceptional director um, and continues to be great. So that's my list. It's a good list. Interesting to note, we only line up in one spot. Again. In one spot. And it sort of surprises me. I wonder if you can guess what that spot is. Um, You can feel free to venture guess if you want. Uh, You want me to guess? Go ahead. my guess is number one, but I could be wrong. Do you want to know, or do you want to just wait and find out? I want to wait and find It'll out. It'll be exciting. Well, the interesting thing is, is that our top, like the top three mm-hmm. and the bottom three, we agree on. Same, yeah. Right. Yeah. I kind of thought that would happen. But look, I put Casino at the bottom. I did it with no joy, and I still think it's a good movie. I genuinely <laughs> do. But again, I just sort of like in this crop of movies. It was sort of felt like he was repeating himself. Even though, like I call uh, Carly Does Way a spiritual sequel to Scarface, the movie is very different than Scarface. It is. Casino is not that different than Goodfellas. And because it's from the same director and the same source uh, author and a lot of the similar cast, that makes mm. sense. But hmm. they lied to me in the opening title sequence. Yeah, you can't get over that lie. That seems to be bothering That really you. stuck with me. And, and of all of these movies, even when... Godfather 2 and Carlito's Way, this one felt more like it was repeating familiar ground from the mm. director. That's why I put it at the bottom, but again, watch Casino down it, because it's totally worth watching. It's one of those things like uh, Goodfellas is like my my real Scorsese juice. I just mm-hmm. I love Goodfellas, but uh, I sometimes you get used up on Goodfellas. You just can't do it again. Mm-hmm. So it's time to watch Casino. Yeah. So I'll watch Goodfellas five times, and then I'll watch Casino. And then I watch Goodfellas. <laughs> you need to balance your life out a little <laughs> there bit more. Is, I have no life. Uh, I put Carlito's Way in fifth place. I think that the star of the movie, in spite of a great performance from Pacino, is De Palma. I think that the like the action sequences is laid out throughout the mm-hmm. movie. There's several of them. All of them are very tense. All of them are very exciting. We didn't talk a lot about Sean Penn's performance during the review. No, I, and that's as far as the acting. Mm-hmm goes I mean that's it's, it's the best of the three the three leads it's a flashier role and it's most transformative because he looks so ridiculous in it mm-hmm. but again I guess there's echoes of what I said about uh, Penelope Ann Miller in that some of the stuff he does or, or just some of the character decisions he makes or the way he expresses himself seem more in service of the plot and this tragic trajectory of the story than it is in believability not that he wouldn't be a corrupt and evil guy, but that he would go so far as to say to Carlito's face, fuck you and your self-righteous code of the goddamn... At that point, he has done everything. <laughs> he's, he's completely 
crossed over to the other side <laughs> and I was I, I was I'm always interested in that transition like it's you know Carlito doesn't know when he gets out of prison that it's already most of the way there with this guy but uh, it's so important to the whole film for the top three movies I'm gonna drop the same caveat that you do but this point in the rank different day maybe a different top three right like these three movies are brutal 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 to decide so fourth is heat um, oh yeah, I'm yeah. gonna talk about it. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mention. It. Yes, he does in fourth place because yeah, we have the same top three and the same bottom three. Yeah. I mean, I could re-enter the argument that I have. I love the ambition of the movie. I love that he wants it to be a sprawling epic, and I still think it could be a sprawling epic. But there's lots of scenes where I understand where they fit, and there's lots of pieces that seem superfluous. And even in a three-hour movie, I mean, you don't necessarily need the kitchen sink, right? Well, you must like it more than I, I did because you had it fourth and I had it fifth. There so. you go, right? And again, that central run and gun fight, good lord. Mm -hmm. Some of the best action sequences that you can see. Yeah. Still, you know. Brutally, I'm putting Chinatown all the way in third place. Well, and here's why I think, uh, spoilers, it's got the most, arguably the least satisfying ending <laughs> of all of these movies. It is a little bit dire. It is a little bit no country for old men. It is a little mm -hmm. bit, damn. The movie is absolutely doing everything that it wants to do, and it's succeeding incredibly. But having to choose between these three movies at the end of the sit, I didn't feel as good <laughs> when the credits <laughs> rolled. The, the theme is crime films. Are we supposed to feel good at the end of these? Well, that's an interesting thing. That's I mean, interesting. Uh, it's like I really debate it and this numbers two and one are tough it's not as polished as The Godfather The Godfather feels like a sleek studio ending this was a studio film Chinatown but it felt like it had been made by an independent filmmaker um, and and the end is uh, yeah, I was just like wow it's over that, that just kept me thinking I was so much uh, more interested in it because of the ending the the beginning and the ending are, are it makes are it just more so memorable. Strong. It gives it more impact. I think the argument could be made the same thing with uh, no spoilers for anyone who's seen Old Man. Not the happiest ending to that movie, mm -hmm. but because it doesn't give you the ending that it seems to be built for, it kind of sticks with you more. But it's it's a less happier, more viewing, even than my number two pick, which is The Godfather Part Two. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though the end trajectory of that, yeah, we see, you know, the Al Pacino character completely consumed by the corrupting influence of the Mafia. Uh, we also have the softer sort of thing is that, you know, the original Godfather, the, the Robert De Niro represents here, does terrible things, but in his head, it's all for love. And this goes to the romanticism that I talk about of the Godfather mm -hmm. films, but it's really hard to deny the craftsmanship and the energy that goes into in the movie and I really like it a lot mm -hmm. it's a sit it's a long movie so you gotta be into that you say you're into long movies I like a long movie but I think you gotta earn that runtime. Mm -hmm. and I think even though it's really it's a long sit it, it earns it so would we have uh, lost anything if we didn't have the Vito Corleone prequel could we have just had the Michael Corleone film well, that's like when your argument about cutting um, and having it is, you know, too... I too, think what, too part of what makes it movies. interesting is that it's both of them simultaneously. But, I mean, it could have been two movies. It really could have been a prequel and a sequel. 
But I think that there's more screen time, like we mm -hmm. talked about, given to the past. Yeah. I think in a way, they'd have to somehow expand the other half. I, I, don't, I wouldn't ask them to change much about this movie. Like I say, I'm a really mm -hmm. big fan. I honestly thought that, well, I guess I didn't know that how much, how high you, you held Pulp Fiction in your head, but it almost seems like, yeah, I was a teenager in the 90s, so surprise, surprise, <laughs> Pulp Fiction hits the top of the list. But in a list of fantastic, fantastic movies, as far as the pure level of enjoyment watching mm -hmm. and the repeat viewings, yeah. like I said, I saw it half a dozen times in the theater, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen it since then. Mm -hmm. It's probably up there with the original Star Wars trilogy and Jaws as a movie that I've watched the most, period. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it would land in my spectrum of favorite films ever, but... When I'm looking at the list and looking at the list, as much as I felt this weird, almost guilty feeling about putting it number one, in the end, the list just looked wrong without Pulp Fiction at number one. And it's crazy, because it's like, he'd made a, an independent, really super indie film before Reservoir Dogs, but really, this is a second legit for real film. Yes. Yeah. And it is an absolute classic. Well, to go from dogs to this, I mean... Yeah. Uh, I think Dogs is a very It's a very good, good film, movie. but it, you could tell it's independent. It's mostly in one location. You know, they have a few other scenes, the scene in the restaurant, that kind of thing. But this is a much, much bigger film yeah. and much more ambitious. And the fact that it was so successful, and I guess it was just the right time. It was the boom for independent cinema in the 1990s. And... Um, but I, I don't know if a studio came out with this thing, I would probably still be saying, oh, this was one of the greatest movies of all time. And not to, to, to downplay the influence of some of these other movies, but like, we're still feeling the echoes and influence mm -hmm. after Tremors of Pulp Fiction today. Yeah. And uh, all of these movies will be remembered. Like, lest you think I'm playing favorites with Tarantino, by the way, Scorsese is one of my very favorite filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I don't, I don't want to put one of his movies at the bottom. It's like putting a Coen Brothers movie or a, or a Terry Gilliam movie at the bottom <laughs> of the list. It just doesn't sit right with me. Well, if we had a rank of the top six directors, <laughs> right, it might have been a different thing. But just these specific, these specific films, yeah. Um, this is, this is where. Where we land here, yeah. And I think we agreed, as much as we disagreed about why they're good or what the <laughs> yeah, problems may not be, we like all of these. There, there wasn't, <laughs> we can there wasn't friends. one where we were like, "Whoa, that like that's a dud," and, and yeah. that would have been a bigger fight, probably. <laughs> I have heard people talk shit about Carlito's way. I mean, I, I have, but I just think that the craftsmanship in that movie, even if you, yeah, the sort of trajectory of the story is familiar, the filmmaking is staggering. Unfortunately, I've heard some people say Pulp Fiction is overrated of a younger generation. Hmm. So that's maybe it kind of scares me, and maybe they just don't know. If you grew up in the, the aftermath of Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction's impact might be diluted. I said similar things when I talked about The Silence of the Lambs. The hmm. Silence of the Lambs was a crazy edgy movie in yeah. 1990. Yeah. Watch it today. It's still a fantastic movie, by the way, but it's tame. What you see in Silence of the Lambs, you'll see on TV. It's anyway. more psychological. Than, yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not a slasher. Not that there isn't gore in it, but like yeah. comparatively speaking, if you compare Silence of the Lambs to like the Hannibal TV show, it's if someone watched Hannibal first and then backed into Silence of the Lambs, they might wonder what all the fuss was about. Yeah. The fuss was about one great film started a ball rolling, and that was Pulp Fiction. 
And I guess if we were only going to agree in one place, it might as well be the best. Well, that's good. Yeah, we're often, the other shows, I think we were we were kind of the either green on the bottom or the top. Same, so. same grouping of threes in the top yeah. and bottom, but just, yeah. Variations. yeah. Well, uh, please come back again if you, that is your Oh, work. thank you. I wasn't sure if I'd be welcome no, back no, no, after no, 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 no. I, <laughs> jumped you on heat there. for. I love, I love a bit of a scrap. I don't yeah. want to hurt anybody's feelings. I just ask uh, if you if you take a look at the upcoming episodes, find something sci-fi or horror because I, I need to yeah, do it's, some, some sci-fi. It's time to get back to that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Is there anything you would like to say to the kids on the internet before we call it a day? No. See each and every one of these movies, not one of them is going to let you down. discussion on six epic crime movies with my friend yes still remaining my friend Jason Dupree uh, I like how deep into the feels Jason gets about movies I think that's what makes him a good guest and yes he shall return for another episode of Rankin Review you have an opportunity to get your voice heard uh, please let me know what you thought how you would rank the movies you can send feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com that's r-a-n-k-n-r-e-v-i-e-w at gmail.com please check out the website at rankinreview.ca i i am in canada i am canadian so so you got to hit that .ca if you want to see the actual website i got an alphabetical list of all the movies that have been reviewed on the show quick access to all of the episodes and um as always i appreciate anyone who listens to the show and who spreads the word on the show uh thank you guys come on back we're gonna do some genre movies one of these episodes it's gonna happen you guys it's gonna happen as always this is your host and random canadian larry parson